Hello, and welcome to episode 145 of Flicks and a Six. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me forever and always, the man, the myth, the Mitch and Murray yeast, Alessandro Bailsi. <laughs> Say hello, Al. Are there any things other than gall or disaster that can be unmitigated? Huh. No. You know, you don't have unmitigated successes. You don't have... <laughs> <laughs> you don't have... But you do have unmitigated disasters. That's right. That's right. On this week's episode, Disney release dates, going back to theaters, and shits, sweeps, and other news and nuggets, all before diving into our flick of the week, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But first, Al, what are we drinking? I like that. I see what you're doing right there. I see it. Uh, so we're drinking the Tom Green beer, not the Green Tom beer. It's so good. <laughs> so good. I uh, just before the show, I was blown away because I was obviously I said that when he when it's when he said it out loud, the Tom Green beer. I got excited and I said, "Not the Green Tom beer." And then found that at the end of the Tom Green beer, there's an asterisk, and then that asterisk is corresponding note on the bottom right of the beer says, "Not the Green Tom beer," which is absolute <laughs> perfection. <laughs> so I want to tell a little anecdote about how we came to do this beer. Um, we had had this plan for an episode a couple of months ago. I don't remember which episode. I know that for some reason I was excited to have that beer on that episode. Yep. And Anthony forgot that he had the Tom Green beer, not the Green Tom beer. And I think it was Face Off. Yes, maybe you're right. right. And he forgot to put it in his fridge, so we didn't do it. That, that is correct. <laughs> so what happens is most of the time for this, I mean, we have occasional one or two beers that are exchanged. But what happens is once every three years... I go and buy all the beer and oh, all of it. <laughs> now, once every few months I go to the beer store and I buy a bunch of beer for mm. me and Anthony. Um, it seems particularly prescient during this time because we, you know, we had a pact once like a long time ago that we would see each other monthly. And right. for a couple of years, I think we probably averaged seeing each other like 14 times a year. So success. Yeah. We fell off that pace a little bit. I, hang on. I kind of like that idea of actually of adding the times within the year because there's months where you go without seeing each other. But if you bring the months like October in where you see each other a few times, but we, like, I like that, that. That first like two years, I think we did a pretty good job. And like, sure. Even if we did end up missing the month, like it would be like six weeks. That's right. And then we'd see each other two weeks later. So like it averaged out. Yeah. Perfectly. Um, to, like I said, even probably slightly more than monthly um we fell off that pace a little bit but still we're keeping it to like nine or ten times a year at least yeah um or at least nine or ten months of the year i'll say because we probably still kept it to roughly uh, the average of so. monthly because yeah. like we would see each other for like the christmas party and new year's and like those are right. like, 10 days apart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so, but anyway uh i bought a ton of beer so that i could give it to anthony mm-hmm. And we could do the show and we'd have all the same beers because early on in this show's run, uh, we used to both go to the beer store and try and see if we could find the same beers. And we'd be lucky and to fail find miserably. three after like 45 minutes in the store. Yep. <laughs> so I was walking. Not a lot of overlap. <laughs> no, surprisingly um, or unsurprisingly, considering we've done a hundred and something unique beers um, mm. across, I don't know, 50 breweries or so. Well, at least 145 unique beers. Well, yeah, um, that's true. Definitely more. It's definitely more. See uh, <laughs> Cloud Atlas Part 1. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the second time already in the last 20 minutes that that episode's come, <laughs> come up in our conversation. La, 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 la. 
<laughs> Sorry, I forgot to start whistling the wrong song at the same time. <laughs> uh, so I usually go to the store. They have a make your own six pack thing. I usually read that and make us, you know, two, three, four, six packs of beers. Some of those end up being the ones that are kind of expired. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I go see if there's anything else that I, I'd like to, to pick up. And I spend way too much money at the beer store. But as I was walking through the store, just seeing what's there for the show's interests or for my interests, a face caught me out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> and I backtracked slightly and looked at the bottle on the shelf because it was literally at eye level. Awesome. And I was you like, know all about that. <laughs> and like, I'm going to show you like the thing like, you know, this is, you can see the name here, right? So it was turned right. like this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is that Tom Green? <laughs> I mean, it is. It's perfect. And I walked up closer and then I could see along the side of the label, it says the Tom Green beer. I was like, oh my God, that is Tom Green. <laughs> Just funny because I didn't watch the Tom Green show. I sure. vaguely remember him in, was he in The Pest? Was that the one he was in? No. What movie was he in? He was in a movie around that Charlie's time. Angel. He was in Charlie's Angel. <laughs> there was a scene where he was on a boat, wasn't there? That was Charlie's Angels, yes. So you can understand why I went with the pest. <laughs> I do understand. <laughs> the um, Chad. I think that's what his name was in Charlie's oh, Angels. Oh, yeah, the Chad. <laughs> that was it, right? Long time since I've seen that. Yeah. Anyway, I was like, wow. This is such a late 90s, early 2000s thing that Anthony is going to love because he was even more attuned to what was going on in the world at that time than I was, especially in the world of pop culture. And so here we are, the Tom Green beer. Yeah, from, I forgot. There that? was also, I forgot he was in Road Trip. Yes, that I remember. That's a fun one. I enjoyed that movie. Stealing Harvard, Road Trip, Freddy Got Fingered, Charlie's Angels. I didn't see those other ones. Um, so this was brewed by Bose All Natural Brewing Company from Van Cleek Hill in Ontario, Canada. Imported by Remarkable Liquids. <laughs> I normally don't say who imports it, but I just like the name of that company. Of course. Yeah. From, from Gilderland Center, New York. <laughs> remarkable Liquids. <laughs> Ingredients? These, these liquids are remarkable. <laughs> they are. Ingredients? Local spring water. Hmm. Organic barley malts, organic oats, organic lactose, organic hops, brewer's yeast. All right. Oddly vague after how specific those other things were. (laughs) 5% alcohol by volume. It's beer. 1.4 fluid ounces. This is a milk stout. Um, Package date. October 21st, 2016. Eh, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> it's quite effervescent for being that old. <laughs> like I said, sometimes uh, they're a little expired. It's the borderline four-year anniversary. <laughs> it is approaching four years old. <laughs> Great. Uh, I will say that if you look at, I don't know what the top of yours looks like, but the bubbles are doing just this wonderful dance through the foam. It's really nice. That's because it's old. It's very, yeah, because it's, it's old. It's uh, almost hypnotic. That's pretty cool. Um, shall we give this a try? I, I mean, <laughs> let's see how, we la- how long we last. Cheers. Cheers. This is the final episode of Flicks in a Sec. <laughs> I timed it just perfectly that Anthony almost you died. You did. <laughs> All right. It, um, it's not bad. It doesn't have a lot of flavor, and I think that... <laughs> Uh, I'd 
don't agree. It almost tastes like um, it almost tastes watered down to me. It definitely tastes like a port with this was a porter sorry a stout with oats in it. What I will say is I don't taste the lactose component, but I'm okay with that because I'm not a huge fan of that. I I actually get that and I like that. I I that like the mouthfeel that I feel like those lactose infused beers have. Well, I actually attributed the mouthfeel to the oats. Because hmm. for me, uh, the lactose tends to sit on my palate, and I feel like I just drank milk. That's what it. That's what this tastes like to me. It feels like to me. I don't. I don't like that experience. I. <laughs> 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 uh, I did this one because I. Know, I do, and I. It's I a weird thing do. to say. I know you do because the confluence of Tom Green and Milk Stout is why I got this because sure. I know you enjoy it. I don't because you're a big fan of, or was it, who was it in way back in the, the top five beers? Was it you or Brian who put the Nitro left hand? Uh, that was me. I'm pretty that sure was that was me. I remember that you like that style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's tasty. I actually, I do like this. Um, I do feel like it's not fresh. I don't know. I mean, it tastes like beer to me. It doesn't taste. It does. It 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 tastes. It it does taste. Uh, it tastes like it's a little bit lacking. It tastes like it's been sitting around for is a bit. Is it dusty? Is that what it is? It tastes a little dusty. <laughs> it's got a little lactosey, dusty mouthfeel. <laughs> hey, here's a here's a complete tangent for you. We went out to dinner to Maloney's down the block from me. Okay, uh, is that which that place I believe. Went to, I think I was gonna say. I think I took you there. They have like over a hundred beers on tap. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So got a few beers there. It was quite quite delightful because they have their their beer list is huge. It's two sides of a sheet of paper and it's broken up into sections. So you, you like you want IPAs, you go here. You want sours, which they have a lot of, you go here. Like and they have little sections that you can go into. Um, the only problem with those sorts of places is I end up getting the I'm like okay, there's a hundred beers there, and then the one beer that I want the most always ends up we don't have being that. I'm like there. I get so mad even though there's 99 other beers for me to try. Yeah. Yeah, but they are, I will say, I'll give them a little bit of credit there. They're pretty on top of crossing it out before giving you the menu. Yes. Which I appreciate. But I always, the, the problem is the X always draws my eye, and I'm like, oh. oh. okay, <laughs> gotcha. I, I mean, there's been more, more than one occasion where I'm like, can I have this one? And they're like, I'm sorry. And then they go to get me the next one that I asked for, and they're like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I swear, this never happens. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I went, we went there, and uh, Kim loved sours, and uh, she was having a couple beers that night, too. She got a couple, one that she really liked, and we were going through the list of some of the other ones, trying to pick another one, asking the uh, the waiter his recommendations and whatnot. And she's like, I got to ask about this one. <laughs> she's like, it says horse blanket? <laughs> is, that a, is that a flavor profile that you want? <laughs> and so we looked it up, and like that's a legit thing that has been used to describe the flavor of, the flavor profile of some beers. More often than not, Wet horse blanket. <laughs> yeah, until you just said that, I forgot that that's a thing, but it is absolutely a thing. Mm-hmm. So we were like, she, she, she was asking him about that. She's like, is it, he's like, she's like, is that right? He's like, yeah. He's like, it's just how they describe the mouthfeel of that one. Um, and a little bit of the, of the, of the forward flavor on it. And he goes, it's a, he's like, it's a really good one. <laughs> she's like, all right. So we got that and one other one. And I, mean, I took Kim, a sip Kim of it. Kim likes horses. So I feel like that's exactly. Exactly. So we got that one. I took a sip of it. I was like, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I'm a little bit more thrown off that I'm not appalled. <laughs> I feel like I should but, uh, eat this 
but I, I don't. Right. It feels like I should be disgusted right now. Definitely taste the horse. <laughs> it's made with authentic bits of horse. Yeah. Horse blanket. Sorry. Sorry, sorry Peter. That's right. That's right. Uh, how many, uh, what are we giving this guy over here? Uh, probably one to two thuckles. I was going to give it a thuckle. I was going to give it a thuckle. I think it might be pushed over into two thuckles provided it were fresh. <laughs> I have to it's say, got, it's got know. a little bit of a, my bum is on the beer <laughs> <laughs> flavor. <laughs> Swedish. Sweet, Swedish. <laughs> wow. There's a thing that I thought that. Uh, that that never crossed my mind as potentially coming back into the forefront. <laughs> well, you didn't expect to drink the Tom Green beer. That's true. That's true. He is looking awfully dapper on the front of this yeah, <laughs> beer bottle. Sweater vest over like a gingham like button down shirt. What was odd was the day that you gave it to me, or like was like a day or two after I had just listened to him on Justin Long's podcast. Oh, really? And I just I was like, what is the timing of this? <laughs> and ha- why is this happening? <laughs> it's that's the God, we always, I always Yeah, I know. It's that thing. It's that word that we don't remember. Yeah. I wanted to call it Dunning Kruger effect, but that's not it. That's the wrong. The Diane Kruger effect? <laughs> no, Dunning Kruger. Oh. <laughs> no, this is the Diane Kruger effect. <laughs> that, can we call it that from now on? Just we're gonna point a new term. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh man, that's going, um, that's going in the show notes. Uh, I can't wait until something like this happens on an episode when we have a guest and we call it that and convince them that that's really what it's called. <laughs> and that, let's get into some news and nuggets. <laughs> God. Uh, what um, what's going on with these Disney releases though? Oh jeez. <laughs> How do you like that transition? Yeah. Uh, Boom. Let's do a quick reading here. Disney postpones Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and many more films. Uh, this is on IGN. This was, I believe, today. Yes. This okay. Day, this evening, or at least the last update was. Disney has pushed nearly all of its 2020 film releases to 2021. The release date changes affect the first wave of openings for films in phase four of the, God, that was annoying of the Marvel Cinematic Universe including the expected delay of Black Widow from November to next May. Black Widow's new May 7th, 2021 date is almost exactly a year after its original May 1st, 2020 release date. Hang on. When did this article come out? Today. Posted, is this... posted today at 115, updated at 636. Really? That's very odd. Go on. Go on. Keep going. The COVID-19 pandemic first prompted Disney to push Black Widow to November 6th, and, well, here we are. It was reported in March via an unnamed Marvel insider that, quote, pushing Black Widow affects nothing on the MCU timeline. Here's the full list of Disney release, release dates changed. Death on the Nile, previously dated 10-23-20, moves to 12-18-20. Optimistic. The Empty Man, previously dated on 12-4-20, moves to 10-23-20. That's also odd. Both both Death on the Nile and Black Widow are still listed as their original release dates, which is interesting. Yeah, I think until November actually, November sixth and October. Uh, probably until it actually screens, it won't change. It'd be my guess. Oh, you're looking on IMDb. No, I'm just googling around, and the only reason why I'm doing this is that I well this time this dovetails very nicely into one of my topics, which was I went to go I went to the movies and. 
um, the <laughs> these two movies were they the new trailers for them played with the release dates that you just said that that got pushed. Well, that's because those shipped probably with that movie however long ago, a week or two ago. That's fair. That's uh, crazy though. Like that's they're just. They're, I mean, that makes sense that they're moving them again, but. Yeah, Black Widow we got to is moving to May seventh of next year. Eternals, previously dated on twelve twelve, or sorry two twelve twenty one, moves to uh, November fifth twenty twenty one. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, previously dated on five seven twenty one, moves to seven nine twenty one. This is where it gets fun. Oh boy! Untitled Disney event film. <laughs> previously dated. You can't delay something that's not announced. Just don't say anything. No, no, no. It's been announced, just not titled. <laughs> yes, yes, the Diane Kruger event. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is a different effect. <laughs> it's not Diane Kruger. This is something else. We're going to have to go up with another Kruger. <laughs> Freddy? There you go. This is the Freddy Kruger effect. <laughs> Previously dated on 7-9-21 is removed from the schedule. Deep Water... What? Oh, hang on. <laughs> Untitled has been removed? <laughs> uh, yeah, Untitled has become... I don't know. Un- Unreleasable. <laughs> Unincorporated? <laughs> oh my god, alright. So Sorry, I was thinking of that... Tragic. Thinking that, that stupid line from... Uh, there was an episode of Parks and Rec in which they were... You remember there was a whole season where the storyline was the merger of Pawnee and Eagleton? Mm-hmm. And she, like, collects a council of, like city councilmen and women who worked in other towns who went through mergers. And there's this creepy old man who says, Oh, you know, you think it's going to go all nice and easy, but if it doesn't work out on on the timeline you expect to, you know, not only will the merger not work out, but the whole area might become unincorporated territory. (laughs) 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 Oh man. I love that show. All right, go on, go on. Deep, deep water which I have no idea what that is. Previously dated on 11-13-20, moves to 8-13-21. Untitled 20th Century. That's just what it's called. Previously dated on 8-13-21, is removed from the schedule. West Side Story, which I didn't know existed until I read this article, moves from 12-18-20 to 12-10-21. I actually, I had seen a trailer for that like 100 years ago. (laughs) Didn't know there was a trailer. Uh, there is a little bit more on that in a minute, though. The King's okay. Man, previously dated on mm. two twenty six twenty one, moves actually up two weeks to two twelve twenty one. Disney's got a lot of stuff. Well, because half of this release was Fox Films, so oh, that's right. With their thumbs in a lot of pies. Yes, that's a thing, right? Weird experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to see the King's Man. Yeah, I I keep forgetting that's a thing. I don't remember what two dates you just mentioned for it, but either way, I'm upset that it's moved. <laughs> they were well. This one actually moved up in February, but I'm pretty sure it was supposed to come out this past February. That sounds right. Um, Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story has also been pushed almost exactly a year from a holiday 2020 to a holiday 2021 slot. Disney didn't explain why it's keeping the Ryan Reynolds video game action comedy Free Guy, which I also forgot existed. Yeah. And Pixar's Soul on their late 2020 release schedule. Hmm. There had been speculation that Soul might be shifted to Disney Plus instead of Yes, I think Free Guy will. (laughs) What's that? I feel like Free Guy would be moved to Disney Plus as well. Yeah, and the early release of Pixar's Onward on the streaming service. Okay. 
Um, at the bottom of this article, there is a quiz. Us. Ooh, what is it? Was this article informative? Yes or no? Oh. Um, in, not real. I guess you gave, me, you gave me random facts. I guess so. But <laughs> there's a lot of whys <laughs> and more questions. I'm more interested in what is untitled movie that did, that got moved. What is untitled movie that got removed? <laughs> uh, it's actually untitled event film. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what is an event film? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Is that like maybe something they do like in the park? What I want to know is, is the film about a particular event or are we all supposed to get super hyped because viewing the film will be eventful? I, I was, my mind didn't even go to the former. So I was <laughs> assuming the latter. Um, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> That's just a subgenre of Disney movies. Movies about shit that happened. <laughs> it's not even like it was untitled Disney, like historical <laughs> documentary or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right. So a lot of things moved recently. I guess is that a? I wonder is that like a reception to, um. Ticket sales for theater openings? Is it just a smart move in general because the world's not going to be back to normal? Like, well, because considering a bunch of theaters started opening in earnest just a couple of weeks ago, I'm assuming that this is in response to that's like, what I would, lackluster box office. That's what I would think as well. I, I understand why these businesses wanted to open. I understand why the studios want them to open. I also very much understand why people are not comfortable going to see movies right now because oh, yeah. I, I am one of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um, It's funny. It's like a, it, when you think about the stuff, it's like, oh, there's going to be a, ser- a point in time where like there's going to be a, the lull and you're not going to be able to see anything new. And they actually reverse that. The lull is just happening now while we can't go. And they're stockpiling all the movies that are going to be released. And then while those are being released, they'll make other movies and there won't be a feature gap. Theoretically, <laughs> you know, the second that we have real honest to God rollout of a vaccine, these movie studios are just going to face fuck us with movies. Like oh, it's yeah. just going to be every day, every <laughs> yeah. day a new movie is coming out. And I am welcoming it. <laughs> You're going to be walking down the street and someone is going to come around a corner and hit you with a sledgehammer in the face that has a movie attached to it. Yep. hundred percent. Uh, I will say my movie going experience was quite pleasant. Um, I believe there were one, two, four, eight, ten. There were like, there were like twelve people in the theater, uh, like very, like very far apart. The thing is, I probably could do it. Mm-hmm. I just already spend so much time in public that mm-hmm. it just seems like an unnecessary risk. Hundred percent tag on top of that. Yeah. I agree with that. That's that's totally fair. For me, it was more like I um, I was itching a couple of to go. A couple of friends wanted to see Tenet, and um, I was just like, I was I was hesitant when we first brought when they first brought it up, like a few t- like for a little bit, and then like when it came up again, I was like, just like let's just do it, you know. And well, if, it, only, like, if only like twelve or thirteen fine. people like were going, you guys probably could have gotten that sort of size group and just got the whole theater. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, because that's actually, that actually I think is pretty cool. So it's like for a new movie, it's one hundred fifty bucks to rent the theater, and for uh, the older movies that are op- that uh, that you have the option of, there it's a hundred bucks, which is pretty sweet, and you can do up to twenty people. Oh, yeah, that's actually a pretty good deal. Yeah, both of them are good. If you get the twenty people, you're either way you're paying less than a movie ticket. Yeah, 
which is awesome. Um, but even so, it's like it's almost borderline. I kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll just pay that <laughs> just, just for me. <laughs> You're gonna pay a hundred dollars just to buy the the screen yeah. for yourself. One, one seat. You, you, one, one. I would like to, one. I would like you to play the '89 Batman, please. Uh, how many people will be coming? Just the one. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll let you know what chair I'm in. You can clean. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, so, the, I feel like that would work. I mean, even just you, you me, and Kim could go split that for. Mm-hmm. For sure, I will say um, it was. Uh, I'm I'm very glad I got to see it. Um, my hot my hot take for you because I didn't give you a review yet. No, but uh, I will give you a. I actually forgot you were doing that. So a, a non non spoilery review. I gave this to a couple of work friends. Is that it's uh, gave it an eight out of ten. It is very convoluted, even for a Christopher Nolan movie. Wow! But it's very entertaining if you could stick with it. Hey, it's listen, a very it's entertaining a and eight out of ten and worth your time is is. Listen, not everyone can be the best. Like some of them have to be something below the best. Only one I of think, them can be the best. And that's right. But I do think that the word, <laughs> the, the saddest part about the whole thing was when Kim turned to me at the end and said, "I didn't understand a single thing that just happened, and I tried. I tried so hard." <laughs> <laughs> well, so the worst part about that sort of thing too is like, maybe that's why home viewing is just like eventually going to fully like annihilate like the box like. You can watch a movie with someone who, like, normally wouldn't want to go see that movie, per se. And, like, if they don't understand, you can pause and talk it out. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, because I know I've done that with people watching stuff. Like, when I've watched, like, something like Cloud Atlas with someone for the first yeah. time. Like, hey, you got any questions? Let's pause it. Let's hash it out. Because, like, it's very dense and convoluted to get on the front end if you're not super invested in it. So, right. Like, that can be hard. And sometimes, as you talk it out, you realize you kind of fuck something up, and it makes your understanding of it better as well. It was one of those things where, like, going through it, I was like, going through the movie, I was like, I, like, you're not wrong. Like, I was, I was confused for a large portion of it. Granted, I had a a handful of things that I was prepared to piece together, but they were just theories until other pieces interlocked, which is, which is fun. And then that they eventually kind of worked out work themselves out and I, I at the end I strung it together um, it's not as crazy as it seems um, it's the, the, the mechanics of the movie because he likes to introduce interesting mechanics in his movie those are impossible to wrap your head around <laughs> they are mind bendy but um, it's a uh, it's fun it's a uh, very it was entertaining Good. there was a point towards the end of the movie where I went ah and Kim goes I, I don't I don't what <laughs> I'm excited to see it a year from now yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll rent the theater. Um, but anyway, it was it was fun to go back. But uh, in going back, I got to see some trailers. You know how I like my uh, my trailers. Uh, no commercials. I appreciated that. Oh, nice. Just trailers. I would have thought so, there'd be more commercials. I know. So we got the uh, we got the the latest Wonder Woman trailer, which you already know that I'm not a fan of. Um, <laughs> give me the old one first. Uh, got a Bond trailer that I didn't see. I liked that. Uh, that was good. You didn't that, see all of the Bond trailers? I think I've seen I, no, I did. I did not. Um, it was it was fun. Nothing. Oh, I mean, fun in that it was doing Bondy things with the dun dun, you know, like the music, like the the good stuff. But no, nothing like remotely close to anything story related came through in that trailer. <laughs> I was like, this is just James Bond doing. This is an advertisement to the opening of the GoldenEye video game, not the movie. The video game. <laughs> that's how, that's what it felt like. So Let's just fuck that around was with, fun. Bond, with some James Bond stuff. Like, yeah. yeah. There was a, a new Black Widow trailer, which actually got me more excited for the movie. I actually 
I was more entertained. I felt like there was more, like more to be done there. And I, I was worried in the previous trailers because I didn't know what was going on. I, and then I keep getting reminded that Marvel doesn't generally screw, or Disney doesn't generally screw these things up. So I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, so that definitely looked better. And then I saw the Death on the Nile trailer, and I was like. Oh, yeah. I forgot this was coming out. <laughs> I got real excited about it. I keep remembering it's coming out, but I keep feeling like it's two years away. Oh, well, you're not wrong. No, but like, even before <laughs> the moving back of the thing. Like, sure. Like, like that's just, that presupposes that they've basically finished the movie or finished the majority of the right. movie. Like, there's a oh, trailer. Oh, the movie's like, done. I keep feeling like we haven't got the first trailer yet, even though I'm yeah. 99% sure I've seen it. Yeah, I, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a good one. Um, it was it was good enough. Like it, it did that thing, that fun thing of hyping up the character because the uh, the detective you know from the previous movie. So they did like a they, they did that cool thing where they like, kind of keep him in the dark until like the last scene where they show you the detective, so that if you haven't pieced it together now you do if you're familiar with the previous movie. And I was like, oh, like, there he is, and, and he introduces himself, and you're like, oh, he's doing his thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Um, but yeah, so it was it was pretty sweet to uh, to see a fresh movie on the big screen again. I was uh, I felt at home, and it wasn't uncomfortable. So there was that. That's good. Yeah. How was it getting in and out of the theater? Nobody. There was nobody there. It was uh, there, there were people. There was a couple of people behind the counter. I got my popcorn. Popcorn what, prices were cut in half or something. I don't. know. It was like four dollars for all of the popcorn. Hi, <laughs> right, just wheel that machine. In yeah, that I feel like that's what happened. They're like, well, we could only make it in batches of a, of gallons of like a tanker, so we have to get rid of it every time we make it. So here's all of our popcorn. Uh, so that was fine. There was yeah, there was no there were no customers walking around because there was so few people going. But um, it was pretty sweet. So moving on, so we got some Disney pushback. We I saw a movie in theaters that was fun. Tell me about WandaVision. Oof. you first. Yeah, so that trailer came on and. I was like, oh, it's this thing. So you had that trailer in Tenet, you said? Uh, This was on, no, I I think I saw this on TV. I think I saw this during the Emmys. Um, I was like, oh, this is that thing that I've heard about (laughs) that's coming out. And I was watching, I was like, oh, this is weird. Is this whole thing going to be like a, like a goofy, like, I love Lucy, but um, Marvel characters? Like, that could be a fun shtick. I don't think it'll last very long. And then weird things started to happen. I was like, um... I don't know what this is. <laughs> and then it ended. And I was asked, what was that? And I was like, uh, it's not clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty consistent with whatever little, like, what did we see a teaser like a year ago for this or something like that? Cause like, it's not the first time I've seen them dress up in 1950s stuff, like on screen. So like, did, we did get some sort of teaser a while back, didn't we? I think so. So I wouldn't say that any of this was particularly surprising, except for what's her name being in it, Catherine Hahn being in it. That was a surprise to me. I didn't expect to see her in a in a superhero thing. Mm. Um, and she seems to be breaking not not the fourth wall, but she's like breaking that illusion. Like she knows that she's in that thing and that what's going on. Yeah, so I, I wonder if she's got to be some sort of otherworldly presence. May, oh, maybe an internal of some kind. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, who knows? I have honestly, like, if you if you got anything out of that, you must be familiar with some sort of source material that I am not, because there was there was nothing of substance there, just confusion. Well, the bit I'd heard when this was first announced, well, first thing I heard when it was announced was, "What the fuck sort of title is that?" And I concurred. 
Mm. Um, it's just so clunky. Oh yeah. Very and I get that it's like a play on words and it does have like double meanings and that's great and all, but, ugh. <laughs> but, as a, but as the title of your thing. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, it, it seems feels like something tough. that should be part of like a one-off joke in the show. Not right. The name right. Of the show. Like one, like one episode in your, in your annoyingly 22 episode season that has a lot of random filler in your walking dead season. Oh, God. <laughs> A single episode dedicated to nonsense. <laughs> no, no, no. Just like the like the title feels like the type of thing that you'd make a joke in the mm. show, not the name of the show. But anyway, um, from what I understand, based on other people's familiarity with it, I guess there must have been something in the run of the show. It's basically she goes nuts after Vision dies and tries to create an alternate universe where he is not dead. Oh! Oh, okay. That's super dark, and I don't think I'm prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it makes sense, right? Because she... Oh, it makes well, sense. I've never got a full, really, accounting of what her powers actually are, but we know she can do things to play my... Mm-hmm. You and me, and so maybe she can herself in her... Sure. Like an Inception thing. Well, like the Cobb's thing, right? Where he, yeah. you know, lives in that, wallows in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's whatever. I mean, I'm going to watch it. Like, who, who are you getting? I'm obviously going to check it out. Sure. I just, yeah. No, I mean, like, it was interesting. There was some. I got to do something with this Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> there was definitely, like, beyond, like, just the surreal thing of seeing them in the 1950s. Like, just, like, the, the actual tone of some of the scenes and, like, the, like that they were setting up and, like, the dialogue was, like, okay, like, this is going to be absurd Right. In hopefully the best sort of way, but it's hopefully. the type of thing where it's like even if it's a swing and a miss, it could be unintentionally entertaining. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Um, but we'll see. Again, I I keep questioning things, but they haven't let me down yet. You know, I'm not really questioning it. Uh, it's not like anywhere near my top ten list of things I'm most excited for. But like when it comes out, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I definitely am intrigued to see what it's all about. So, um, we're going to move on to something that we've watched before getting to what we're watching. Something that we've watched that sweeped seven out of their seven Emmy nominations. And goddamn, was I excited for all of that. Schitt's Creek took actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, writer, director, and best comedy. Damn. <laughs> that was awesome. And uh, was so well deserved. <laughs> I absolutely adore that show. And I'm so glad that they got all that credit. Yeah, I obviously love the show as well. We did a lot of talk about that over the last couple of years. The last mm-hmm. year plus. Um, it's great to see them all rewarded. I'm a little surprised that they swept. I know some people were a little bit. And there was some... Hand-wringing, there was some rationalizing. I don't think it has to be that big of a deal. I do think it probably was more of a Lifetime Achievement Award for like the lifetime of the show in some regards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, because of the lack of recognition prior. Yeah, because you see mm-hmm. that happen sometimes where a show runs for however many years and they always get kind of pushed off to the side. It's like, they're always the bridesmaid and never the bride. And it's like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it was like a super like deep the comedy like categories didn't seem super deep this year. Like, uh, I mean, I like, obviously I love what we do in the shadows and that sure was nominated and that deserved 
nominated in one category three times. <laughs> I was like, damn. Was it? I forgot. What, yeah. What? I think it was uh, writing. It got three different writing nominees. You didn't finish the second season yet, right? No. So, no. Okay. Well, because that's what it's for is the second and season. And the one that you were, the episode that you love, I'm pretty sure was one of the writing oh, ones. Oh, of course it was. The yeah. Jackie Daytona one? I, th- I oh, believe so. God, it's so good. Uh, <laughs> um. I know, like, some people were a little bit miffed that, like, The Good Place didn't get it. And, like, that ended as well. So it was a little surprised it didn't get it. Well, so there's, I think there's something to be said there where, yes, it ended. No, you don't deserve an award for your, for it being your final season. When you put final seasons, there were three shows that were up in their final seasons. Someone's going to go home empty-handed. And, I mean, I, I watched two of the three. The one that won was far better. Okay, interesting. I, I In know that opinion. I know that the good place was had both a big fan culture around it and was critical. The good, the good place. I loved it. The third season was probably or the last final season. I don't remember what, what number it was. It was probably the weakest of. Oh, okay. But I still really enjoyed it. But that being said, the final season of Shit's Creek was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> and very emotional. Yes. <laughs> oh, and I recently so the the Schitt's Creek Instagram account is great, and they they do they put out some great stuff. But uh, one thing was a a screen grab of a tweet from Mariah Carey. I believe it was a tweet M- mentioning Dan Levy will always be her David Rose, and in the in their comment on it, it said, "Someone please go check on Dan," <laughs> 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 which is just really tremendous. But uh, they were just all so excited, like as they were winning them, and then it got to the point where it was like, it was almost like this has to be a joke, right? Like it's like a carry situation. Does this last award come with pig's blood? Like what's going on? Because he had to get up and accept so many times. <laughs> I guess that can be pretty exhausting, right? Yeah, it gets to the point. Like, what else can you say? And also, then it just it, then it starts to feel a little bit weird. I'm, I can imagine, but uh, it was really cool. It was great to see. Very I, much enjoyed it. What are you I, rewatching now? I, well, I was going to say, my final thought on the Emmys was I didn't realize huh. it was on until it was on. Same. And I was watching football, so I wasn't going to flip to that. Uh, and that was a good game that night. So I didn't see it. But uh, it didn't seem like there was really any other than, like, some people were a little surprised that this won. All of them. Like, it doesn't think there was any huge surprises in it, right? Uh, not that I know of. So I, like, I same with you. I didn't know it was on until it was already 30 minutes in. And by the time I turned it on, I, I got on just in time to see them sweep the category. And then that was it. <laughs> so I'm surprised because I thought you and Kim watch all the major. Oh, we do. Neither one of us realized it was on. Lack of lack of advertising of the Emmys. I did miss some of the like who won of like the major categories with the drama mm. stuff. I know that Jeremy Strong mm. won for playing Kendall. Um, Oh god, I totally forgot his last name in the show. Uh in succession. Uh he's like one of the the leads. He's the the well, he's not the oldest son technically. He's the oldest full son. Um there's a half son who's older than him. Well, no, sorry, it's a full son, a half brother <laughs> older than him. <laughs> um he's but he is the number one boy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one boy boy number one. No, number one boy. It's very okay. important that it be uh, referred to as such. <laughs> okay. And he, you know, the first season, I thought like he did a good job or whatever. Um, and so I, maybe it's just material, but he was incredible in the second season. Um, 
I believe there were. Sorry, there's an Emmy for outstanding commercial. That's kind of funny. I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. What one? Well, there's there's all those ones that you don't see aired. So ah, what what commercial one? Um, back to school essentials. No, thank you. I don't know. The last thing I'm going to do is click on a video to watch a commercial, so I'm Fair. not going to check that out. You've, you've spent most of the past decade escaping commercials at all costs. That's right. You're goddamn Liter- right. Literally at all costs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, the the supporting, I forget who won supporting actor but in the drama, but I know like three or four different actors from Succession were nominated, so none of them were ever going to win because they were going to always split that. Mm-hmm. Um, who ended up winning that? I'm looking you up now. So, uh, so outstanding drama series succession one. Yes, I knew that. Um, Better Call Saul was up for that, which I appreciate. The Mandalorian was also up for that, which I think we talked about earlier. We were both like, I mean, okay. Like, I love the show. Love it. Yes. But no. <laughs> All right. So, supporting actress in the drama series, the winner was Julia Garner for Ozark. Outstanding supporting actor in the drama series was Billy Crudup for The Morning Show. That's right. Um, it's an interesting choice. So the I know Zendaya won right for uh, lead actress. Um, for Euphoria. Please hold. This list is not great. Supporting actress in a... No, 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 no. Lead actor... Lead... Wait. <sighs> what is that? That's drama? I believe so. Uh, supporting actress in a drama. Supporting actor in a drama. Lead actress in a drama. Zendaya. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Strong was lead actor for Succession. Yes. And then... Outstanding limited series was Watchmen. Well-deserved. Uh, anything else winning would have honestly been pretty comical. It was, they don't have a separate category for actor, actress in, limit, in the limited series, though, right? Yeah, they do. Oh, what, who won for that? Was, did, Regina, did Regina King win? She did win. Okay. I thought yeah. that was lumped into the drama category. I don't know why. No, it was pulled out as a separate, um, as a separate jam. Um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty sweet. This is what I was getting at. There's like outstanding director for a limited series or movie, and it's, like all the other categories in this list show the nominees and the winner, like has a mark next to it. And for directing and writing in a limited series, it's just the winner. So that, that was an odd choice on did, this list maker's part. <laughs> didn't didn't Watchmen win for a direction or uh unorthodox one for directing of a limited series or a movie? Oh, uh, there was something else. In, oh, sorry, was it was it in drama? Did Succession win? One of the Successions won one for that. For drama? Yeah. Uh, let's find out. Directing for a drama series. Succession. Writing for a drama series. Succession. What what episode? Uh, it doesn't say. Oh. Because I, I know it's for a particular episode, typically. Mm-hmm. Because I think uh, they had, like, three different episodes nominated or something like that. <laughs> hmm. Uh, last week tonight, one variety talk series. That was a silly one. They gave all of the, uh, the hosts a box. And only the one with the award was going to open. <laughs> and it, like, explodes open on Is his desk. Is that how old that was? <laughs> that, well, for this one. For this oh. particular award, that's what they did. <laughs> oh, that was very silly. But, uh, yeah. So that's cool. I, I was I was bummed to have missed the beginning of it. Because I usually like the intro of those things. But, uh, 
I heard the whole experience was a little weird with it. It was wonky for sure. Partially from home, but also partially not from home. Yeah. Like people getting sick and did someone fall on the red carpet, I believe? I don't know. There was a red carpet? I'm very confused. (laughs) I think kind of, if I'm remembering that correctly. I know they were using crowd shots that were from other previous Emmys. That's really funny. Like, they were doing shots with, like, oh, this person is, like, nominated, but they were at this other Emmys, so we'll just show that shot or something like that. That's kind of funny. I heard someone make a joke saying, I really feel bad for the intern who had to go through all this footage to make sure that no one who's, like, dead or canceled was, like, in the back of any of those shots. Ah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's a good point. Oh, man. Anyway, that's the Emmys. What are are we watching, Al? Uh, So... Funny thing happened on, I want to call it Saturday of this past weekend. Um, okay. Well, I just forget what day it was, okay? Hey. It was a weekend. It's, it's almost as if you forgot what the days of the week were, the way that you said, I want to call it Saturday. <laughs> no, because it was either Friday night or Saturday or Sunday. I don't remember. Gotcha. Okay. I just know that I'm pretty sure I didn't have to get up for work the next day. Sure. Um, and it had to have been sometime after Wednesday. Because okay. what happened? So it was Friday or Saturday? Yes, probably. Or Sunday. No. Couldn't have been Sunday. It could have been because what follows next is what I did on Sunday. But you said you couldn't get up. You didn't have to get up for work the next well, day. Well, yeah, it's true. So I'm guessing it's Friday or Saturday night then. Yeah, because the I think it was. Diane Kruger effect again. What? <laughs> the Diane Kruger effect. No, this sounds more like Diane Kruger effect. <laughs> Is this Dylan McDermott or Dermot Mulroney? (laughs) 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 All right. What happened? Was watching TV and sorry, was like half watching TV and heard a commercial for Archer. And I was like, oh, yeah, that pushback new season is supposed to be starting sometime soon, isn't Mm. it? And like, so like I missed the beginning of the commercial and like they were showing like clips of like both old Archer, I want to believe, and also stiff stuff from the new season. And I was like, oh, yeah, what day is that? And they're like. Airing Wednesdays. And I was like, but when? And then I went to the DVR. I was like, oh, it aired this past Wednesday. So it'll just be Wednesdays from now on. Great. And then I remembered, you know, twice the joy because FX and FX on Hulu. Sure. Brian uh, airs two episodes to start every new season now. Score. I got to watch the first two episodes of Archer. Um, It's now back to being just Archer. It's not Archer Dreamland. It's not Archer Vice. It's not Archer... What were the other one? Danger Island, Archer, <laughs> 1999. It was none of those things. It's simply Archer. Um, it was great to have it back. It's awesome. Had a pretty strong start the first two episodes. Um, I don't remember how much of what has happened the last several seasons I've said to you or not, but the dynamic has shifted, but then it's also exactly the same. But they kind of mixed up the rules and they're playing with convention a little bit but also very clearly leading back to the original conventions predominantly. Okay. But like they're doing it in ways that work with the story and the characters and it lets them play around in the sandbox a little bit without having the wholesale, I won't say rewrite, but total recasting of the characters that the like standalone seasons did. Mm. But it's nice to see it back and a great time, even though it's the first season now with Adam Reed not running the show. He's the one who created it. He's the one who voices Ray on the show. He's still there voicing Ray on the show. Um, Which also... What's that? He's like stepped away from like the 
the yeah, runner. he's not the showrunner anymore. Yeah. Which brings to mind something I just heard this week that I had no idea. I, well, I wondered if that was awkward, still being involved as mm. like one of the main characters on the show, but not running the show that you created and ran for a decade. Yeah. It's got to be weird. Uh, and it brings <laughs> Every time they were like, yeah, that's not how I would do it. Just yeah, right? <laughs> you, would, you would wonder, like, and how do you not... Or, or during all of that, they're like, thank God I don't have to do this <laughs> Well, there's probably, like, an aspect of that, but, like, on the other hand, like, don't you still feel responsible? Like, don't you still kind of want ownership of the thing? Like, do you want someone else playing in your sandbox? Right. Like, there's a difference between giving an episode to someone to write or direct, because you're still involved, right? Like, because that's what happens with TV, right? A showrunner yeah. will be in the writing room. They'll be like, maybe the lead writer, but there's entire episodes or sections of episodes given to certain people. Maybe they write a certain character. Maybe they write a certain right. storyline that's running. They generally keep like a continuity and like a feel. Yeah, or you hand mm-hmm. off episodes to be directed that you wrote, but you're still there on the lot while they're directing it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a collaborative like process. I have to imagine if you're stepping away from being a showrunner, you're not part of like the collaborative process of making it anymore it's got to be awkward yeah i don't know but i was listening to armchair the other day with seth mcfarlane and i didn't realize he hasn't run family guy for almost a decade really i didn't yeah. know that either okay like considering he still does like 70 percent of the voices on the show i just assumed that he was still like even if he kind of was giving more and more control to other writers i right. just kind of assumed it was still his show it's not. You know, it's funny. It's dawned on me. I haven't seen that show in a very long time. There's probably this entire, there's years worth of content that I haven't seen. Correct. Which is pretty great. That Like at any point, if I wanted to, it's there. Yeah. I mean, the last couple of years, there's a lot of episodes that were like, that was fun. Yeah. Um, they still get every once in a while one that's really strong, but like it used to be in like a 20 episode season that like, 10 of them were incredible and five of them were really, really good. And then the other five were hit or miss. Right. Now it feels like it's kind of the paradigm shifted a little bit. Yeah. Which is disappointing. Um, it's the type of thing like the nature of a show that goes on for that long. Sure. It just feels like they mix up the formula in such a way that it's tends to feel very generic and disposable. A lot of times. Uh, Okay. Like when they do big event episodes, they're still really good. But, like, the random episodes aren't as entertaining. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if it just ran out of, like, things to do, but... Yeah, I find that it's funny. Like, I, I, it's not the same thing, but, like, for Saturday Night Live, for example, like, they've, got, they've been doing this forever. It's weekly when it's live. And it's, there's, there are, more often than not, there are just meh episodes. But every once in a while, there's one that just tickles you. And uh, and it's great, and, and and it's it's almost it's worth going back over and over again just to hit that one. That'll be that funny. Yeah, but the other thing was something like Saturday Night Live, where it's an hour and a half long, right? And there's however yeah. ten or whatever sketches. Mm-hmm. Like you could have a pretty meh episode that has one really good sketch. That's true. And with Family Guy, like the equivalent of that would be. You could have a meh episode, but if you have one great cutaway, it like salvages it because like you're good. That that cutaway is going to probably stick with you. Sure. And I don't even feel like they're always doing that. I got you. That's a bummer. Yeah, but then every once in a while, like one will come up. I was like, oh wow, 
that was actually pretty damn good. Yeah. It's just like, it's not enough to make an appointment television for me anymore. Like, it's just, it's, sure. they, they pile up on my DVR, and when I get bored or I have nothing to watch, I'll knock on. out one or two or three, and it's like, okay. But it's not a priority for me. Yeah, like, those types of shows, like, little, like, one-off things like that, I used to watch when I would commute to Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> That was that, I, that was obnoxious. <laughs> that was perfect for when you took the sip. That was very. That, I mean, my, obviously was going for Laszlo there. Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> is he saying like that whole episode? Is he saying Manhattan? And then when they go, I'm like, that's what he's saying. Oh, that was I the Nick, the love Nick episode, right? this character. <laughs> yeah, it's the Nick Kroll episode. What were the name of the? What were the name of the crew of vampires? Because they were so ridiculous. Oh. Have, yeah, the one of them was like a rapper name, right? Yeah, uh, I don't remember it. That was it was it's a, it's a that was a great episode though. Well, if you enjoyed that, I'll give you a very brief spoiler. He's back for an episode. Ah, oh, thank God! I am so glad. Is he Along like with at least some of the crew? Okay, cool, cool. And his creepy wife. Awesome. Never looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you're watching Archer. Anything else? I want to say no. Cool. I'm, uh, I, I feel am, like I should be able to say that with conviction. Sure. I'm, I'm about three or four episodes into season five of Dexter. Just kind of cruising along. It's, um, a, big, it's a big paradigm shift after four ends. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good. The, I'm, I'm currently, uh, I'm digging the cast right now. I'm, uh, certain they, characters they, are they coming. shake it up a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, honestly... When the show started, I was like, Actually, get Masuka the- off the screen. And now I'm like, get Masuka on the screen. I was just about to ask about like, him in particular, but I was going to say, we haven't really talked about your feeling about any of the cast, and you're now past halfway of done with the show. Yeah. Um, like, I've asked you about seasons and storylines, but um, yeah, tell me tell me uh, what your thoughts are on, on like the general cast. But yeah, because Masuka, yeah, because he's such a bad like stereotype of like just the creepy perv at the office and then eventually yeah. he becomes a character and he becomes a character in the in the thanksgiving episode yes which is where he three? It, uh, four four sorry he brings his patented lava cakes yes the lava cake uh, which dessert. he throws away and when he throws them in the garbage it's probably the same like and this is a season where some really crappy stuff goes down the saddest scene of the season is when he throws the lava It's when he throws the lava cakes away. It's the defeat of Masuka's eyes when he throws the lava cakes away that really takes the cake. The saddest scene in the season. <laughs> you really said what takes the cake. <laughs> I did. I was really hoping that you would catch that. <laughs> oh, but I, anyway, he's uh, he's fantastic. Um, now, he's fantastic now. He's not early on. They... They figure out how he figures out how to. I actually think it's more the writers than him. He's he's a. I think he's a good actor. Yeah, it's not on. It's not on the the actor. It's on the writer. Exactly. They they forced those those nonsense jokes in. Where now they they added personality and storytelling to the character, and then he gets to do those things. Which well, I feel yeah, like they also like instead of him being like, okay, this dude's like super problematic it's like oh no like he is really harmless like he's not yeah bad no because, like, like almost like we'll do anything for you that could have gone down where he's actually like one of the people dexter eventually hunts down right <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh no he, I, he's I, i'm enjoying him these days i 
I've since episode since the first season, I really like Angel. I think he's awesome. Yeah, he's always kind of like one of like the moral centers of the show. Well, I've always gravitated towards that character. I like those characters. Yeah. Um, uh, they're just like a it's it's just like a good north star. I feel like for everything else going on. You know, I was um, watching like a couple weeks ago, and I always forget that he has a very big part in that is Rounders. Uh, he is one of the he's one of the police officers at the the poker game that they play where they get their ass kicked and they get thrown out. Oh man, I only I I remember that that sequence. I don't remember him. I'll have to. I'll have well, there's to no reason that. for you to remember him not having known who he was at the time. Sure, sure. But uh, so I believe he's... he was also was he not also the villain in the first Expendables? I don't know. Well, there's like there's a white dude. Is it Eric Roberts? Maybe who's like the real main villain, but there's like... That a, feels right. That seems dic- like the appropriate casting for that movie. There's a dictator in some South or Central American country that is like his puppet, and that's him, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, so I like him. I've been liking Masuka lately. Um, I think that... I bet I bet you don't like LaGuardia because there's no reason to. They, they do a poor job of writing her. At times. Um... <laughs> She's just, the thing is, they, they just need to put a little, like, just a little bit more effort, and I think she'd be more compelling. Like, they, they make you dislike her right out of the gate, uh, and then they don't do, like, basically, with the friction between her and Deborah, it's unwarranted. They don't give you enough of a reason for that. And then they don't really reconcile it. They just kind of get rid of that. They just they just take that off. That's just, that's just not really a thing anymore. Well, the thing with her and Deb is it always waxes and wanes and mm. that in it of itself is its characterization of where spill beer all over myself just yeah so i was gonna okay. let that one slide appreciate it down your chin uh <laughs> and, um, and boy did i <laughs> the, the the sorry that whole ebb and flow between her and deb is its own bit of characterization of laguerta because that's who she is she only has time for you if you can do something for her. Yeah. So when things are good between her and Deb, it's because her keeping Deb close to her is something that benefits her. And when she has no need of her is when they end up sniping at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, that's, I guess that's, that's kind of true of all the characters because her own dalliance with Angel and all of that uh, goes along with that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not a, it's, I mean, there's a weird thing between, like, not a likable character and not liking the character. I don't know, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a, there's a shortcoming of the writing of that character, in my opinion. Well, as funny as, as flawed as the character is, Captain Matthews has the best line on her. Because he recognizes her because he has a lot of it himself. It's just that he feels like he actually earned his place. And mm-hmm. he feels like she didn't. But she he recognizes the same ambitious political animal in her that he has in himself. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, he, he's an interesting one. I don't really have any strong feelings on him. I, I They do a good job with him of like, I hate him in the scenes where I'm supposed to hate him. And I'm okay with him in the scenes where I am. So that means that they are writing him specifically for that. And the actor is carrying it out. Yes, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty solid actor. I forget yeah. what else I've seen him in. He's been in a couple of things. He gets some uh, good one-liners throughout the course of the show. I've been really... Uh, this particular season, um, I'm enjoying Quinn, who is becoming uh, <laughs> the new Dokes, 
which is I I kind of like what's happening here of him like starting Dokes. to get on to Dexter, which is pretty great. Fucking Dokes. Dokes, Dokes really- is part of one of the great memes of all time online. Oh yeah, yeah. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, honestly, the entire time I was watching the first two seasons, I was like, is he going to say it now? <laughs> is he going to say it now? And then when I saw them in the shipping yard, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it, it happens. Like, also, I'm really excited. that's the first time that you maybe even see any sort of fear in Dokes, but you also see Vindication, right? Because yeah. Dexter gets him and he's like, oh, I have thought he was just this. Yeah. Like. Weasley little like science dork, and no, there is a tiger hidden behind those. Right, and I, uh, I didn't like him because of the intention behind the way that they made it, so that you were it was a hard to like character, but you also understand to a degree. Well, that was cool. You don't like him because he's the one who is always diametrically opposed to the protagonist, even though ultimately he's the good guy. (laughs) Yeah, it's like like I said, it's like it's that same thing of like I didn't like the character, and that is a success on their part. Like that was the point. I feel like is they like you technically should be on board with him, yes, but you're not, and that's the that's what they were going for. And between his execution of that character and the way that it was written, I think it was very well done. What did you um, think about Brian? Brian, by me. What? What? What was the What was the name? That oh. <laughs> Uh yeah, I uh, was it by me. That's uh, that sounds close to what he was or saying. B- by me or by me, I forget. By me, yeah. Um, he was fine. That was uh, that was another one. So here's the thing. I mean, I guess spoilers for the first season of Dexter. Yeah, that came out what like 15 years ago. Yeah, I I was watching it and vividly remembered. I don't know, 80 percent of the first season, and I I do not remember watching it at all. So I don't know if maybe like Michael Warren was watching it when we were roommates at one point, which is very possible. And I was just like either in and out of the room or something. Um, But like I was like when he when as it was on like unfolding and like there's this, you know, they're trying to figure out who this killer. I was like, I'm pretty sure the killer that they're referring to that's doing this exact work is dating Dexter's sister. And then I was like. But we haven't been introduced to Dexter's sister's boyfriend yet. And then she gets a boyfriend. I was like, that's him. That's the <laughs> guy. And I'm like, this is very underwhelming. <laughs> but, well, it's a little uh, different when you know it's coming. <laughs> but, which was weird because I was like, I half knew it was coming. I, I still I still don't know when or why I saw it. But regardless, um, I think Deb might be my favorite character. I always liked Deb. I, or uh, I was, for the most part. I always thought she was a pretty well-written character. There's a a section of it in the last two seasons, off and on, where I didn't think the writers did her credit. Uh, In the second season? No, no, in the final two seasons. In the final season. Oh, final two seasons. Gotcha. Um, Yeah, well, there was things going on behind the scene because in real life, the two of them got married and divorced during the run of the show. Who did? Uh, Michael C. Hall and um, oh, what's her name? I don't know her real name. I yeah, I, I, I barely remembered his real name. They are now Dexter and Depp. <laughs> I totally. I just realized as I was getting to her name that I totally don't remember it. I want to uh-huh. say it's Jennifer something. I don't. Okay, but does that it takes a toll on their chemistry or? Yeah, well, I think it's the chemistry. I think the writing 
was affected by that. I think they, looking back at it, because I didn't know when I was watching it, and I found out like after, and I was like, oh, this makes more sense now. Uh, I think they channeled the real-life divorce into what they were writing, because the interesting becomes antagonistic. Hmm. Uh, it's there's some good and there's some bad to that. Okay. Well, like I said, so, so right as of as of, I would say, she's probably my favorite of the characters right now, uh, or our has been really. She's a great. She's great. She's like a, she's kind of a ridiculously written character. Like her, all of her shticks, like they're they're really funny. Like funny in a show that is very drama heavy. Yeah, like, I mean, like it is a, definitely a drama, but there is a pretty good amount of humor in it. Yeah, but like her, yeah, her, her, she, uh, skinny white bitch. She said Santa Muerta and it was, (laughs) and they all laugh at her and they, it was when they explained it to her, the fact that she was able to chuckle at it too was really funny. (laughs) And I just, I thought that was a great scene. Um, but uh, that like stuff like that, like also like just her her ridiculously like the foul mouth stuff that she says, and then also when she's spending more time with Masuka, he starts to say things similar to how she says them, and it's really funny. Yeah. But anyway, um, the, the things that she comes out with, Kim and I will just rewind it and be like, "What? Wait, what did she just say?" <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, one of the things I liked about that show was how many great cameos and. In fact, like guest stars across like a season or part of season they get because there's a really good list of them. I mean, I guess not maybe in the first season, but in the second season, they added Keith Carradine as Frank Lundy, who was great. Oh, yeah. Great character. Rest yep. in peace. Um, obviously, John Lithgow was great. Um, what's his name was great. Uh, oh, I totally forgot his name. The, the guy who played his friend in the third season. He was in Star Wars. He was. In- oh, I yeah, I didn't totally really care for. Um, oh, what the hell's his name? Schmidt. Uh, Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith. That's the one. Yes. Yeah, that uh, that season was frustrating, but yeah. See, I love that season. Yeah, no, that's I, I. I've heard people saying that that was a great season, but it, it was not for me. Um, four season. Yeah, sorry, I had, I had Lithgow and the yep. return of Carradine. Um, fifth season has Frank Weller. In most of it, which is great. What's the name? Uh, Robocop. Oh, okay. And also, well, he wasn't super famous at that time, but the guy who plays Sherlock Holmes on that show, Elementary, Mm -hmm. with Lucy Liu. And I forgot that actress, the blonde actress. Julia Stiles. Yeah, that's it, her. Well, that was funny. Uh, I actually just saw the the episode where we uncover her, and I was like, oh, I know who that is. I guess I, she's going to be around a while. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, I was like, I don't remember if you got to her yet. Like, so it just sounds like you just saw the episode that she was Johnny Lee Miller is who you were talking about yes, before. Yes, yes. I was never going to remember his name. Of train spotting fame. I didn't know he was in that. Sick um, boy. Sixth season has Colin Hanks and huh. Mo, Most Deaf and Edward James Olmos. Oh, what? <laughs> Cast of characters. All right. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's, there's some great, like, like and like all of them have pretty long runs on nice that season um season seven brings in one of my f- well i always like he cracks me up in in <laughs> he's been in a few things in bit parts but he always cracks me up in the other guys the guy who who has like plays the head of the like that that team of like specialists that's like 
constantly like hunting them down. The guy with the Australian accent, he plays like a Russian like mobster in the seventh season. Um, he's really good in it. He cracks me up in the other guys. He's been in a couple other things. He was in the first couple Thors. He was uh, I always forget the their names. You know, like the was it the the Warriors three or whatever. He's, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's he's one of them. Uh, Yvonne Shahovsky's in it. She's great. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other people I think who pop in here and there for the show, and then I guess really the only oh sorry eighth season brings in Charlotte Rampling, who she, she just won an Oscar a couple of years ago, I think. And one of the guys from Boondock Saints, the one who isn't, um, what's his name from The Walking Dead? <laughs> the <Okay>. other one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ray Stevenson. Yeah, that's the guy from yeah. uh, The Other Guys. That's funny. <laughs> the, the one that's not in The Walking Dead. Yeah, because I, I totally forgot Norman Reedus' name for a minute. And <laughs> it's like, you know, the one who isn't. That's fair. Sean Patrick Flannery. Yes, him. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm in, I mean, I'm in, I'm in it. I've been, I've been kind of breezing through it, actually. Yeah, I mean, the storylines get a little ridiculous in the last couple of seasons, but like I said, I still think that it's more entertaining than not. Sure. Um, and it gets more entertaining when you get other, like, cool, like, actors and actresses in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's what we're watching. Are you interested in doing some fun and games? Uh, when am I not? When are you not? All right. Uh, for this week's fun and games, I came across. So I do. Generally, what I do is the title of the movie and quiz or who are you from and the title of the movie to see if I could find anything. Okay. And then uh, in the depths, I came across this website called sewergator.com. Now, I'm not quite sure what's going on here, and I refuse to find out. Don't like but it. it was a link directly to a quiz, and I'm not going to explore the site any further. Um, Probably for the best. This quiz is vulgar. I'm going to put that out there. Who would have thought? And uh, much like the movie. Now, there's a caveat here. We're talking about Glenn Gary Glenn Ross in a little bit. Um, there are some things that are said in the movie. There are some lines that are not appropriate today. They weren't appropriate then, but we're more aware of how not appropriate they are now. Yeah, the... I was a little shocked by how violently Alec Baldwin screams that. Yeah. So I will, um, I, I, as I read this stuff, I'll probably, I'm going to do my best. If I, if I'm reading it quickly and I mess up, I'll just, I might cut it or I might just skip over certain things. Just so you know, if, if the questions sound weird. Okay. Okay, just gonna get in there because I needed to take you through required from this quiz <laughs> potentially because I came when I read through I, I answered it a bunch real quick and just to see if like the results have like something fun in them and it did have like a character and had some like stuff about it so I thought that was a good idea but the things that it said after that were pretty gnarly was so this, was this quiz invented in 1992 uh, maybe <laughs> uh, it, the website certainly looks that way. <laughs> Uh, but let's start this off, because the first thing that it says on this website is it takes brass balls to take this quiz. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous sight gag that was. And it says online quizzes. What are they? An opportunity? To what? To waste time? Perhaps. To waste a lot of time? Perhaps. To indulge and learn about ourselves? Bullshit. Here's a quiz. And maybe that's true. Now let it tell you. <laughs> I don't know. It's all over the place. A preamble to the quiz? Yeah, that's the preamble to the quiz. And then the title of the quiz is Which Fucking Glengarry Glen Ross Character Are You? If one of the answers, one of the results at the end isn't Randy St. Randy, I'm going to be so mad. (laughs) 
right, ready? How often do you swear? Every fucking other fucking word. Some of the fucking time. Hardly fucking ever. <laughs> uh, I was hoping this is going to be one of those four option ones. Because I'm somewhere between some of the fucking time and every fucking other fucking. All right. We'll do some for that one. Okay. That seems fair. Your drinking habits are best described as light to moderate, moderate to heavy. Hard to say as you can never remember how much you drank. <laughs> say moderate to heavy. Okay. Coffee is for closers only, drinking, sobering up. Um, well, just considering the frequency and volume of coffee, I'm going to go with closers only because I drink a lot of it. Okay. At work, are you hot? Hot if you could only get the support. Doing what you're paid to do, no fucking good. <laughs> hot. Okay. Your moral compass points to true north. Could use some adjustment. Was broken the day it came out of the Cracker Jack box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with True North. I want you to know that uh, the image that is accompanying every single one of these questions is Alec Baldwin's hand with his index finger as a penis holding the brass balls. <laughs> All right. Which of the following statements makes the most sense to you? One point, in fact, of which I spoke to you, of which I can't talk to you about it here. <laughs> Sorry, this is the one that makes yes. the most sense to me? <laughs> yes. I forgot about that sentence, but then you said it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that word salad. Yep. Actually, I believe, I believe, I watched this movie with my sleeping dad and my barely interested mom, and my brother who showed up half an hour late to the start of the movie. Mm. And I believe when that line was uttered, I even said out loud, Wow, that was a spectacular word salad. Yeah, so that one, that one was that one's pretty good. Uh, the next one is, well, I'm not a leash, so I don't know, do I? <laughs> Which was also pretty great. I think something has to be fed, uh, watered, and painted. You know, are you just talking about this, or were you just talking about? It? <laughs> that was the one that made the most sense somehow. And then the last option is, huh? <laughs> All right, so are you talking about this? Yeah, the, the Arkham one. Okay. Somebody is making life difficult for you at work. You. Read him the riot act. Try to bribe him. Scream at him semi-coherently. <laughs> ignore him as best you can. Insist he follows the rules or get out. Harangue him mercilessly and take away his coffee. Apologize to him because it's probably your fault. <laughs> Um, you know, what the hell is the riot act? Because I know that expression and I have no idea what it actually means. Yeah, I actually don't know. I know the expression as well. I'm going to go with that one, although I feel like that overlaps with yelling at him. I, I don't know. Semi-coherently? Yeah, well, I guess the riot act may be more coherent. So. Yeah. All right. And now the final and potentially best question of this quiz. <laughs> Will you go to lunch? That was actually great. Will you go to lunch? Will you? Will you go to lunch? Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? <laughs> Somehow, that probably makes it, maybe not on the Mount Rushmore, but I'll say the top 10 line deliveries in Kevin Spacey's career. <laughs> yeah. It's really pretty strong. It is. It has no business, that line in and of itself, while somewhat funny, has no reason to be as funny as it is except for him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's absolutely true. So, will you go to lunch? Yes or no? 
Yes. Okay. Let's find out who you are. Okay, you got Rick. You, your Glengarry Glen Ross character is Ricky Roma. Nice. Uh, unencumbered by self-doubt or any sense of morality, you see what you want and take it. In a world of clock watchers and bureaucrats, you manage to be a real man. Not burdened by sentimentalism, you choose your friends for whatever material gain they can offer you. And then underneath that, it says your testosterone rating is 100 out of 100. <laughs> oh. So it's funny because, you know, a lot of times when we're done with this, the majority of the times I feel like, oh, wow, that like th- that's pretty close. Like, I-, I feel like I've said that quite a few times. Most of that is not true. Uh, I pretty specifically said my compass points to true north and that said I had no morality. So No morality, zero. There. Which is probably a random generator of some um, kind. That being said... Some of the other things, I kind of like the testosterone thing. I'm definitely not a clock watcher. I get shit done. Um, it's funny because, yeah, he was really the only one who seemed competent in that movie. And yet, not as competent as he thought. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, with that, let us get into our flick of the week. Glen Gary Glenn Ross, released in 1992, rated R at an hour and 40 minute runtime. Your IMDb synopsis, an examination of the machinations behind the scenes at a real estate office. Uh, hardly. Hardly. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I guess not, not Not so much. It really, I feel like it's really like a behind the scenes. It's like a, a deep dive into like uh, almost the caricature, caricature of a salesman's persona. Um, whereas also maybe not so much a character caricature in certain situations because <laughs> I've definitely met salespeople like this that I've worked with in the past um, that I'm like, oh, like, you're really good at pretending we're friends. <laughs> uh, it's tough because technically, like, I have sales components to what I do. Mm-hmm. And, like... I mean, everyone learns how to wear different masks. Some people wear them better than others. Some people wear more of them than others. Mm-hmm. And I don't always view that inherently as being dishonest per se, because sometimes it's defense mechanism. Sometimes it's what you got to do to get along. Sometimes it's to get what you want, right? But a lot of times it, it really is just how best to fit in with what's going on. Mm. And... So my ability to slip in and out of wearing certain masks has been tested in being involved with some of the sales stuff. And sure, you can't lose track of who you are. Like you do have to do certain things. You do have to be persuasive, but mm-hmm. and I don't know. Maybe I'm losing out on five or ten percent of what I could be getting if I were to throw all of my morals away like a Ricky Roma, but sure. Well, I don't I, think I, I'm I losing out that much by not being a creep. That all of them, except maybe Alan Arkin, are have go like have completely they they have no other personality except the fake ones that they've put up at this point. Yeah. Um we never really see Arkin sell. No, no, which is actually pretty funny. Which we can let's get we'll get into that. But uh first, why don't you give me your tweet length review? Sure. If I can open the tab that I have it on. Sure. Uh, <laughs> its roots as a play are very much evident as plot falls by the wayside in favor of passion, prose, and performance. 7.5 out of 10. Hmm, that was a much more eloquent version of what I have here. Fast talk, double talk, cross talk, back talk. This talk, he certainly talks the talk. 8 out of 10. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I'm with you all the way on... Uh, 
it's clearly written as a play shot as a movie. Yes. Um, which but, I think was a great choice was to keep it as the play in the film version. Yeah, which I didn't know until I saw it in the opening credits, like based on the play written by David Mamet. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like it's uh, I, I feel like it would have been, it would have done the movie a disservice to to change the cadence of the delivery of everything because there's almost something uh, fake about the way they deliver their, their lines to each other. Like in that, like the, the characters, what I found throughout the movie is that the, is that our core cast of salesmen are like salesmen at every angle with their clients, with each other, with their boss, with the cops. Like it's crazy. Well, and that's, I was going to say, by the end of the movie, as I was getting ready to jump in the shower because I felt so dirty from this movie, (laughs) um, (laughs) I was like, oh my god, they can never stop selling each other, themselves. Yeah, it's dark. It gets dark when you start to really think about it. It's dark. It's really dark. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's also nasty because they also like the lengths that they're going to to basically swindle because it sounds like everything that they're selling in this case they're not good deals. So <laughs> no, and also you have to realize that like at that point, right when none of them are any sort of successful, and it's like, oh, the worst possible product with the worst possible deals would only attract the worst possible salesmen. Mm-hmm. Like they're none of them are any good at it, right? Except for maybe uh, Al Pacino's character, Ricky Roman. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually, it's more that he, it's not that he's good at selling it. It's that he's good at confusing the person. Yes. Which is, uh, which comes into play a lot in the movie. He's got, he's a funny character. So I, I have this note here. It's a question more for you. Kind of curious. Right? Al Pacino's best role? <laughs> because he's, he nails this character. And I think that he has some crazy deliveries throughout the performance. It's his most efficient role. Okay. I think by reining him in and not giving him a ton of screen time, they allowed his best work to not become parody of itself. Mm. And while watching this, this movie came out in 1992, I was wondering, when exactly did he become that? Yeah, I don't know. Because, like... I've laughed about it like now, like with like the movies he's made in the last 10 years. It's like, okay, like when did he like go into this full blown parody version of himself? This right. is the earliest chronological movie I've seen him in where, and it's both his look and his delivery. Yeah. But the delivery is the thing I'm most. Con- when did he become that? He totally changed his voice and his delivery. Yeah, and I want to know when, and I like, want to know why. Why? Yeah, it was like he that when he became Al Pacino. Yeah, because that guy is not the guy who <laughs> when, when was... he became Al Ua Pacino. <laughs> I I am remiss to not remember this, but did he win or was he nominated for Oscars for his work in the first two Godfathers? I don't know. I would assume so, but I actually don't know. That would have been. I would have just guessed that, but um. Yeah, I'm going to stall briefly while I look at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because I, he definitely wasn't this in the first Godfather. And actually, I don't think I've ever even finished watching the second one. Um, he wasn't that in that one either from the parts of it that I've saw him in. Right. Um, Man, I don't... 
No, he he only won for Scent of a Woman, which is the same year as this. He was okay. nominated for this as well. Wow, he was nominated for two Oscars that year. <laughs> but now, are you saying he started to turn into the Al Pacino that we know here, or he's not that here? No, I want to know, when did he turn into this? Yeah. Because, okay, so here, uh, you know, I forgot. Scarface? Did Scarface just get to him? Maybe. <laughs> um, so he was nominated uh, for The Godfather. He was nominated for Serpico, which was the year after. He was nominated mm-hmm. for Godfather Part Two, which was the year after that. Jesus Christ, he was nominated four years in a row. He was nominated nice. in 75 for Dog Day Afternoon. He was nominated in 79 for End Justice for All. And then he was nominated in 1994 Dick Tracy, then 92 for Glengarry Glen Ross and Sense of a Woman. It's pretty wacky in Dick Tracy as well. Woman. And then he was nominated for The Irishman last year, which I totally forgot. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to know when he became this ridiculous character because, like, he was good in this. Mm-hmm. I understand why he was nominated. I'd like to see what other movies were, or what other, like, roles were nominated for that Sure. Year. But like, he was good. He was entertaining for sure. Um, I just, like, his voice and his cadence and his delivery are entirely different than they were. 20 years earlier in yeah. The Godfather. Yeah, you're He's right. He's a legitimately really good actor in The Godfather. What happened? Well, that, that, see, like, that's the thing where it's like, it's almost like he was playing, you know, he played a character in those movies where I feel like all, make, then afterwards it was like Al Pacino in Glenn, Glenn Gary Glenn, do you know what I mean? Like where it's more it feels like, the association like, you make with him. Yeah, I feel, it feels like he's become Nicolas Cage. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Is that what it was? Like, did he try and go off the rails and keep chasing bigger swings? Like, more artistic, more different, more, I have to be more every time to outdo what I did the last time? Like, what happened? It could be. Acting's a hell of a drug. (laughs) I guess guess so, because it just doesn't make any sense to me. But you know what's funny, though? There is also... uh, While I I, I completely understand where you're coming from, and he he can be like... He gets wacky. I will say, of all of them, I do feel like he's potentially doing... Well, actually, I feel like it's him and Kevin Spacey are probably doing the best acting in the movie, followed very closely, if not at the same level, by Jack Lemmon. Yeah, I thought Lemmon did a really good job. The The thing is, like, you want to compare him and Spacey, who get limited screen time, right? Like, they right. have to really make the most of each scene. Mm-hmm. Spacey, the majority of time when he's really acting... Doesn't even look like he's acting. Yeah. Pacino, I can practically see the strain. Now, it doesn't mean that the product isn't good. It's just like, do less, man. Do <laughs> pop up. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, Kunu. Kunu uh, has the way. That, that was, I will agree with you in his his expression and his um, his mannerisms and the way that he moves his body. He's a, He overacts a bit. Because However. Because like, the, the, the scene when Jonathan Price comes in to break the contract. Mm-hmm. He stops all that bullshit. Yeah. And he acts. Yeah. And that's what he's getting nominated for, right? Is that scene. Uh, probably. It's gotta with, be. With all the bullshit. In, like, and I get he's playing a character that's like full of bravado and this and that. But like, even the scenes when he's not, when the quote unquote, the character isn't trying to project. Yeah. He's doing too much. Yeah. Like when he goes on his bullshit philosophical monologues. Yeah. Like where it's like, wait, you like, you just said a lot of nothing. 
Which I understand is the character. No, I'm fine with the nothing because you're right. That's the character. It's the way he's yeah. It's it's because that's been extra. (laughs) That's been his default state for the past thirty years. Yeah, like he's not acting there. He's just reading the lines. Like, and that's not a knock. Like, it's just not every line needs to be Oscar worthy, right? Like, that's right. Like, there can be an economy of movement and all of that. All of that bullshit falls away in that scene with Jonathan Price. Mm -hmm. That. It's like, where is that guy? Why do you push that guy down and do this other thing? Yeah. Do it the other way around. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that's about. But on the topic of like of the way of the way those performances are executed, one of the things that I found interesting is when it comes to a play, like plays are executed in a tight timeline consistently every night, twice on Wednesday, twice on Saturday, right? Like they're like done like uh and they like they get like a cadence down, and it's almost to the point of um, the lines are delivered on cue, right? Where almost where it's it, it feels a little bit less like the characters interacting sometimes, as much as it does character delivers this, next character delivers that. And when it came to uh, Ed Harris and Alan Arkin, it very much felt that way. It was just like well, especially that hit one your scene cue and deliver the lines. That one scene was it when they were in the car? Or when they yes, were in the it's in the car. It's in when, the car, they, and then in the and then in the bar. <laughs> I don't even remember what they were saying now, but like they kept saying the same thing back and forth to each other. Yep, they're and because like, they're both just talking, not with, but at each other. Yes, it's it's very odd. But it was uh, like watching people play tennis. Yeah, yeah, yes. It was, it was. It's so it's so strange. But I will say like. They did that, and I do feel like that that happened a lot of times. Uh, Ed Harris' character was on screen, so I feel like it might have been him, and maybe not nailing the like the transition from like the playwright to a script. But the other characters, I feel like, did a better job of blending that. I do think Al Pacino blended that better. I think that uh, Jack Lemmon did it fantastically. Well, and, it also it also depended on what this I think the script required at that time because that patter between the two of like between Sarkin and Harris mm-hmm. is very intentional in that moment of yeah. this is supposed to have a rhythmic cadence. I while I agree, I think that Arkin was doing a better job of seeming to respond where Ed Harris was just saying the lines. It was yeah. I, I don't know how to, else to describe it, but it felt like one well, was that, more that probably, acting. I think you're probably right, but I think that actually goes to the character because could it could be, yeah. Like it just seemed like Harris was I won't say the better salesman, but the one who was trying harder. Sure. Well he was very much not thinking about anybody but himself. Yes. And yeah. he's trying to sell Arkin in that scene. Yeah. And but Arkin's it, not. So he is trying to understand what's going on. That that's that scene is 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 pretty great. What were they saying? I don't even remember now, which is like, this uh, is what I was talking about before we got started recording, where I was like, like there's certain things that I just, like, like I remember the 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 spirit of what was going on, yeah. but I don't remember any of the lines. They're talking there. about robbing uh, the, they're talking about, uh, uh, yeah, robbing the office and get, and taking the leads. And <laughs> Argan says to Harris, we're speaking about it as an idea, not talking about it as a robbery. <laughs> Well, no, that was later in the bar, but there was something where they kept asking the same question back and forth to each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what that was, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they, they do keep... And it actually, I think that's how that... That's the, the cap at the end of that, but the whole conversation in the car and at the bar, I feel like, is them going back and forth. We're just talking about this, right? 
Yeah, it's well, shocking. yeah. Who's you're talking? I'm talking. Like we're just talking about it. Like we're talking. And they, it no, goes. No, that 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 was Poe Dameron in episode seven. Yeah, talk first. You <laughs> talk. I talk. That's That's great. Uh, yeah, so there is there's definitely something funky to the line delivery, specifically because of the way that it translates as a play to the screen. Um, it definitely feels more like a play in that sense, which I'm okay with. I just it's just a notable thing where it's like it blends the stage and screen really well, and like it makes the movie unique because they did a movie set, but they did like stage play blocking and line delivery. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. And also, obviously you don't get this in a play, but you get it in the movement of the characters and there's some of it on screen, but because they got to play around with conventions of having cameras and change perspectives, that thing where you get where like people like they keep resetting the stage where I'm here and then I'm over there and now we're sitting yeah. this way and now we're sitting. Instead, the camera pans and pivots around. Which adds like a really cool play on that convention. Yeah, it almost puts the audience on the stage versus making it feel like a movie. Yeah, well, it feels more dynamic that way, even though it still has that same framing mm-hmm. that a play would have. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's it's a, it's it's a fun movie to watch. Now I have a sure. question for you. Hit me. I just I meant to look this up before the show. Totally forgot about it because I thought about it at like six thirty this morning. Okay, and I just looked it up now. Was Aaron Sorkin a huge fan of David Mamet? Because a lot of the dialogue in this felt Sorkin-esque, especially later stage Sorkin, like the newsroom or um, the social network or... Sure. Like, uh, he just had something else that came out fairly recently that I saw. I don't remember what it was now. But like a lot of that framing like between like the dialogue of how it happened and the delivery and that hitting the marks almost yep. in a place like that, that I know that like, he's written some plays and as well as writing movies or whatever in the same way that Mambit did. But that felt that feels like it's now watching this and knowing some of like Sorkin's like background. I was like, Oh wow. I have to imagine he grew up a fan of him. I, I would assume. So I will say like the funny thing that you just brought up there is that Sorkin feels more like uh screenwriting that incorporates the the dialogue and cadence of a play, whereas Mamet maybe feels a little bit more like playwriting play incorporated. Started doing movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they they just started at different ends and met in the middle. But uh, I would, I, I mean, that would make sense. It wouldn't be surprising to me if like he considered, like you know, if that was a if that was a thing. Did you did you find something on this? I didn't have. I don't have time to do a deep dive on it, but I do find it curious that yeah, um, Sorkin's first movie came out the same year as this, and that's a few good. Hmm. Hmm. That's on my list too. We should do that soon. <laughs> but have you you've never seen it? Or no, I have it? never seen it. Really? Okay. Yeah. I saw it for the first time probably five or six years ago. Oh, um, nice. I, I've seen it a couple of times since. It really good. Movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I've been excited to watch that. So cool. But, uh, that I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm very excited for the future of Flix and the Six. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but back back to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Can we talk about the one thing that bothers me immensely about the t- is the title of this movie. Yeah, I was a little confused by the title. Can't spell I, it. Can't be I, spelled. Wait, sorry, what? It's a two words. It's one word. One word, then two words. One word, then two words. They're not four words. It's, and I was like, oh, and it's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And then I was like, two N's, two R's. One R, three N's. <laughs> How do I spell this thing? Well, to me, it's frustrating that it's three words. I feel like it should be two or four. Right. A hundred percent. Also, I, I never really got 
what Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross were. I I always well the Glenn Gary leads. Yeah, but I always assumed it was the name of the firm they worked at, and it's not. No. Um, they like they reference them once or twice, and it's like that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't like those names mean nothing to me. Mitch and Murray kind of ultimately meant something, but they were the bosses. Right. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. But like, it was like it's just uh, I don't know. If it, it, it totally doesn't matter, it was just a, a minor frustration. All right, so I'm looking something up now. Well, actually, this is from the Ringer. Glengarry Leeds, a term used to refer to the new most substantive, substantive, substantive. Jesus, I'm having <laughs> a hard time putting that together. Substantive most lucrative leads, but why? Um. Is that actually a definition, or is that like that's a guide from, to watching the movie? That's just from them. It might be a guide to watching the movie. Uh, Glenn Gary is a hat. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that yeah, they mentioned most of the time they're talking about the, they want those Glenn Gary leads, the ones that are supposed to be the hot ones, right? That, were, yeah. that Alec Baldwin brought in. And then they maybe once, I don't even think more than that, probably once it mentioned like in the past, having the Glenn Ross leads that they did pretty well with. So I guess they must just be some sort of like market research companies or something like that. That would be my guess, unless it was like a magazine, because they did mention something about getting the leads from like magazine subscribers. I assumed that they bought a list of people who subscribed to magazines because they kept talking about buying lists. Oh, that could be it. Like if Glenn Gary like owned a magazine and sold a list of its subscribers. Like, could you, could you imagine that that's what Google and all these like websites do to us now a hundred percent of the time for like not much money. And like back then you had to like beat down someone's door and pay a ton of money to buy a literal physical copy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, a list of things that like they have written in on like old paper that maybe is carbon paper. Like, Somewhere sitting in like a filing cabinet. I think our cousin Edward sold magazines like that for a while. You might be right about that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I bought one. <laughs> or like had my mom buy one because I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you were buying movies, you were buying video games. Why couldn't you buy a magazine? That's true. That's true. Um, it's saying that since then, the Glengarry leads have become a synonym for the sales word for a list of hot prospects. But like... That's what I'm saying. I feel like that's just something that became a part of the lexicon because of this. Yeah. Um, interesting. To an actor that Glengarry leads in question, this is a lot like nobody wants to explain to me where this, what the origin was. But anyway, uh, that was one thing that bothered me. Like you said, two or four words, this three business is not working for me. I don't uh, like that Glengarry is one word, and I don't yeah. like that Glen Ross is two. Make that's right. Both- the same. <laughs> yeah, I want a little all or nothing situation here. But uh, anyway, that, that that might be my least favorite part of the movie is the title. <laughs> Just jumping ahead to that section. <laughs> um, so we are, I mean, I guess from here on out, like, uh, uh, we've already, like, talked a little bit about specifics, but, like, there'll be spoilers going forward. It's an old movie. Honestly, the spoiling of the movie is really not even important. The story itself is actually not that strong. Uh, it's really the performances and the delivery that's that's what is worth watching here yes i believe so, I, I believe i called it the passion prose and performance of this that's, <laughs> that's that's right that's right um but like getting into it so like we we got to start off with talking about like the one that uh 
the, the scene that most people would probably associate with the movie, the Alec Baldwin scene. I was actually is, almost a little disappointed it was so early in the movie. Yeah, it's quick. It's it's early. It's he has his one long his long run, and then he's out. That's it. That's the only. I also realized after watching this movie that Boiler Room, the scene with Ben Affleck, totally rips this off. Oh, really? I've never seen it. Oh, it's a solid watch. Okay. Um, but they, if, <laughs> after watching this, it's very obvious that Ben Affleck's like one scene was a total ripoff of Alec Baldwin's one scene in this movie. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I like, uh, I like Silent Bob's scene in Jay and Silent Bob Rebooted. That is basically the entire thing <laughs> word for word. <laughs> really? I don't remember that actually. Yeah. It's, uh, when at the cross burning. <laughs> oh yeah, well, he's just yeah. He just starts coming up with something to stall them, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He even says straight up that he's from Mitchell. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's silly. But that that whole thing is ridiculous. I will say that watching that scene over again, um, there's he. There are some lines that don't age well for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh. There's a couple, he just, he rips into these guys and it's really like in some of the lines, it's like, it's funny to watch, like in real life, it wouldn't be funny at all. And you would actually probably either pummel this person or you would probably give him hell back. But, well, I just can't believe he goes through the lengths of actually bringing a set of brass balls. with. Yeah. Oh, so that, that's what I want. Like, I like, at what point in your career (laughs) do you get do you get to the stage where you bring that prop around for a dramatic effect? <laughs> also, I want his job. To just go yell at people? Yeah. Like to yeah. carry a, a briefcase filled with only the special leads and brass and balls. And brass balls. And yeah. to give that speech to someone. Like, how many speaking engagements? Like, it can't be every day, right? Like, was it once a week, maybe? Yeah. yeah I don't know. I think. My, so, uh, do you have a favorite line from that? From that whole thing that pops into your head? No, because I think it... I don't want to say it has to be taken as a whole, but it, like, it feels like it's like in like groupings of a sentence or three at it, a time. It, it is. I will say there was one that really stood out to me, and it's because Ed Harris gets on my nerves in this movie, and I had already remembered that from the previous time that I watched it, just because I don't like who he is as a person in the, like, the character. Yeah. Uh, that when he goes... I think something along the lines of Ed Harris going like, who the fuck are you? And he goes, fuck you. That's who the fuck I am. <laughs> for whatever reason, that makes me, like, I laugh out loud when I see that that scene. <laughs> well, that, his specific interactions with him are entertaining because it feels like he's punching down when he's talking to the other two guys. Mm-hmm. And in that one, it feels like, not that they're peers per se, but like that Ed Harris's character can take it. Yeah. Yeah. Alan Arkin's character cannot take it. That's what I'm saying. How can you talk like, to a man that way? <laughs> well, yeah, and like, and as much as I, I loathed Levine's character, I mm. did feel bad, especially the whole thing with his daughter, like Shelly the Machine Levine. Yeah. Well, did you notice that was my name in the in the in the Zendesk? I did. That's great. <laughs> well, it was supposed to be Shelly the Machine Levine, but it was too many characters, so I think sure. it's just the the Machine Levine. The Machine Levine. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, it just the whole thing with like, like that dude goes and kills himself, right? I uh, I mean, if he like, gets an opportunity before he goes to jail, maybe. <laughs> well, like a week after this, like he's gonna kill himself, right? Seems that way. So, 
He's just having a bad streak, that's all. Yeah. So, like, I, yeah, I just felt bad for him when he's getting berated, because, like, man, this guy is walking on, like, the knife's edge. Because this isn't a dude who could quit and go do some other job. Like, you feel right. like maybe Roma or... Um, why do I not remember Edward Harris's? Um, I think I have it here. He is Dave Moss. Moss, that's right. Like, Roma and Moss feel like they could go work somewhere else. I mean, like, mm-hmm. he keeps saying he's going to go across the street to yeah, whoever the fuck. I don't remember the guy's name now. Um, that he can go work there. And, like, that, like, you know that he's selling when he's saying that. You know that he's talking it up and he's never going to do it. Yeah. But whether he goes there or he goes somewhere else, like, like he'll probably take a hit, but, like, he'll still be alive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, with Levine, like, even before he goes to those lengths, like, you just feel like he can't take it and he's about to go over the board. And that's before you even find out about the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, yeah, for sure. I will say, like, it's funny because, like, when you're watching the movie, it's like you're – it starts off, you're set up, you start to understand who these characters are, how they are with each other, how they are with other people. And you're like, okay, these guys are going to be, like – they're going to come across scummy for probably the remainder of the movie, right? Because they are scummy. And because they are. Uh, I'm still – Jerry's out on Alan Arkin. But like, I feel like he's not, which is why he's not a good salesman. <laughs> yes. Right? So, but it gets to the point of, I think one of my favorite scenes has to be when Shelly is at the guy's house talking to him, uh, saying that he chatted with the guy's wife earlier. And eventually the guy is just like, we're not interested in buying any land. Like the answer is no. He has to basically push him out the door. Right, he's trying his damnedest to stay inside and to that keep scene it going. is probably my least favorite. It's it makes me so uncomfortable. Oh, a hundred percent. I have it under my least favorite scenes, but at the same time, it is like it's probably one of the best scenes in the movie. Yes, to some extent, but so when he delivers that line, like when he's eventually gets pushed out the door, the scene that I'm the scene in question, the part that I'm saying that is potentially one of the best scenes is the shot of the guy closing the door and the look on Shelly's face. And like that, in that moment, it's like this whole time, like I'm rooting for the guy in the house. I completely understand. I sympathize with him. This is ridiculous. Like get out of here, get away from me. Like, I don't want your land. I don't want any of this. I don't want anything to do with this. Get away from me. But you start to remember that the other character is a person too, when the door is closing and it's a very interesting shot. And I think that that's, that's a really great scene overall. It is definitely agree with you in that it makes me super uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, which like I guess it's supposed to, but like it makes you uncomfortable in more ways than just the surface of like, oh, this guy won't give up and this guy doesn't know how to tell him nicely to go in a way that'll get him to go. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, like, man, that was a different time. Can you imagine just letting some dude off the street into your house to sell like yeah. that sort of thing with like with with no internet to be able to corroborate that, like, this is real. Mm-hmm. It always reminds me of, there was an episode of Rugrats where that happened, where they have an <laughs> insurance salesman come in, and he scams them. And I remember yeah. at the end of that, I, like, I literally had to, like, ask my mom. I was, like, five years old. And I was like, I don't understand. My mom was like, <laughs> my mom's like oh, yeah, like, the insurance wasn't real. He just stole their money. I was like, wow. (laughs) People can do that? Like, like they don't get caught? (laughs) Rugrats taught you some life lessons. That's for sure. Yeah, and like that always stuck with me. I mean, 
for one thing, I probably saw that episode three or four times as, as a child. So like, you know, I remember it, but like it stuck like, cause I remember I was like, wow, like how does like that happen? Because even then, like at a young age, I'm like, man, like that's an important thing. Insurance. You would probably go to like a store for that or something like that. Why would you mm-hmm. just let someone come in and sell it to you? Yeah, it's yeah. It, even though, like, I, like I'm not even joking. Like when I was like a kid, I remember being so confused. Like, why would someone come to your house that you don't to sell you something important? Like, right. I didn't know the nitty gritty details of what insurance was, but I knew it was important. Mm-hmm. And, like, <laughs> why was that a thing? Why could someone just come to your huh? house and That's sell you an investment or insurance? Door salesman. Yeah. Well, there's a big difference between here. I'm going to sell you this vacuum and here. I'm going to sell you insurance. Is there? Yes. <laughs> For one thing, hundreds or thousands of dollars. For two, when the the guy walks out, the vacuum is in your house with you. You yeah. can see it. You can touch it. You can yeah. use it. It might be cheap. You may have paid too much money for it. Sure. But it's a vacuum. But a good salesman sold you nothing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like When that guy walks into your house... You might not have a thing. It was a simpler time, Al. It was easier to pull the wool over your ass. I know. It's terrifying to me. It makes me very yeah. uncomfortable now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it's, it's terrible. <laughs> but uh, the, the in that scene when he's going, uh, he's like, I have to go pick my wife up from work. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, talk to the lady. Can't wait to meet her. We'll take my car and uh, we'll take her. <laughs> right. And he's like, no, no, like, we gotta go. We're that having dinner with... pretty good. That was pretty have, good Hail Mary. Yeah. We're having dinner, you know, with her parents. Oh, Phil, she didn't mention anything about that. And he's like, I don't see why she would. <laughs> and he goes, well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna see what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go back to the office. I'm gonna pull another drawing and look at me in the act of giving out a prize. <laughs> I will give what you know, get a plot of land for your for her parents too. And he's like, we don't want to buy any land. We don't want to invest in any land. Please get out of my house. And then Matthew brought her a cable guy. Get out of my house. <laughs> uh, it's so it's it's rough. But uh, on the topic of the machine feed. His greatest shtick is talking to his assistant, Grace. <laughs> Grace, pull me 10,000 petty cash. <laughs> well, that was good. But actually, my favorite like quirk of the character was his ability to switch gears. Oh, yeah. Like, he went from sob story to towering rage to please help me to hey, we're best friends in yep. like four seconds. In a sentence. <laughs> yeah, and I, was like, I was dizzy. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> that, like, but that's like that's kind of the beauty of it, right? That's the whole purpose is the disorientation of like you don't know where to land afterwards. Yeah, it's horrifying too. But it's mm-hmm. like I was like, how is it even possible? Yeah. Oh man, Spe- like same on the same topic of that. Like, uh, uh, uh what's his face? Um, Roma's character does that, like really well like in all and by doing what he does is he peppers in these ridiculously long things that he says that mean nothing and like the facts are like are pseudo in there but he completely like he glosses over things he turns it around he switches gears like he does his double talking and like it's crazy there's a lot of pseudoscience like essentially in what he's saying there's a lot of double talk Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like it's one of those specific moves of like liars where it's there's so many obscure random details that don't need to be shared. Right. Where it's just like, I'm going to pepper you with a barrage of 
things and let's see if you can call the bullshit on them. Exactly. You can't because I've just hit you with 4,000 words. Yep. Oh, man. He he nails that. Uh, honestly, the best scene where he does that in, which is another one, my least favorite and also probably one of the best scenes, is when he's talking to Jonathan Price about uh, the canceling the check. And it's three business days. And it's like, so like so we'll talk Monday. He's like, Monday won't work. It's three business days. Like, yeah, three business days. That had, that, uh, had, not, that, had, that had big Tim Curry and Clue energy. Yeah, not Saturday and Sunday. I'm not counting Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, because it's just the three business days, so we'll talk Monday. But today's Tuesday. What did I say? He <laughs> goes, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. When did you give me the check? Today. Or it's like, so it hasn't been cashed today. So the early, when is the earliest that check could have been cashed? Wednesday. So we, so that's three days. <laughs> it's like, yes. And he, he's getting the guy like riled up because he's, he's just, he's going to keep going until the guy quits. Yeah. Well, cause that whole time, all I could hear in my mind was one plus one plus two plus one's not one plus two plus one plus one. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. Exactly. <laughs> but that, that scene, that irritates me though, because the way that he does it, it's like, he's doing that thing. Like, I, I, I don't remember the, um, the mechanics of it. But there is a there's a change scam that people used to try to do, and they used to do it at the pizzeria and attempt to do it all the time. And I would just point to the register that said the cash back that they were supposed to get for the amount of money. It's like it's right here. You're not right. But like there's like a change thing that you do where you count on your fingers and you it's like a you give a twenty four something and you count up, but you kind of the way that you orient it, you add a dollar. But they basically end up plus a dollar at the end. But it's I'm like not, a, I'm pretty sure that was a gag in Scooby Doo. But they, a lot they of cartoons today. Yeah, yeah. They tried. They used to try to do that at the. I'm not even kidding you. Like these people would try to do that at the pizzeria. I'm like, I was like, you're like, you could. That's fine. I've already put it in, <laughs> and I <laughs> and the change is displaying on the screen to you. These damn calculators, yeah. And computers. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so that's like, just, sir. Just it's like, sir. I'm currently in the calculus class in high school. Like, you're not gonna beat or, me with like fast math, <laughs> right? But uh. Anyway, like that's like it seems like like that's the type of thing that I feel like he's doing. Like that's like that type of talk. It's almost like a three. He's like he's basically three card Monty, the salesman. <laughs> you know what's great too is during all of those things when he does the puppy dog face. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but you know, uh, but you, but that 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 wouldn't leave us time to, to on Monday. What? Like you know, he just yeah. does a super innocent face. Like no, because we're best friends. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's, well, they shared it's, a very intimate evening the day before. It's dirty. Yeah. An intimate evening where I wrote a quote down where he says, you ever take a dump that makes you feel like you just slept for 12 hours? And I was like, what is this line? It was like a total non sequitur, too. Like, <laughs> it wasn't even like, it had nothing to do with what they said right before or right after that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even a transition in any way, shape, or form. Like, he didn't even come straight from the bathroom, did he? No, I think he like got up to get a drink. He, like he got he up from the, the table. Yeah, oh, that was that was ridiculous. But I I heard the line and I was like I was focused at this point watching it. I was like, wait, what? And I I rewound I rewound it just so that I could write it down. <laughs> well, I was like, there was like a very listen. I know we were dancing around the homophobic slurs earlier when we were talking yeah. about Alec Baldwin's speech, but like there was some tension some energy between the two of those characters yeah it was a little weird and like not in the sense like it's like oh like that's weird that like two guys might have been intimate in any way shape or form just in the sense of like in no way shape or form at any point did they give 
any sort of hint that these two characters might be gay. He keeps talking about his wife. He's just trying to sell him. And it's yeah. like, to the point where it's like, oh God, how far is he willing to go to sell him? Yeah. I, like, that know, was the vibe I was catching, <coughs> where it's like, we're not just doing the thing like we're buddies now. It's like, it was almost like conspiratorial, like affair type stuff. Yeah, it was, it, it definitely, it, it got, you got some of those vibes from their interactions for sure. Like, I will like, say. Man, how low are you willing to go? Yeah. One of the things that he does that's fascinating, uh, Al Pacino's character, is that he—he's the one—he's the fast talker, right? He's the one that says a lot of stuff that is unrelated. He says a lot of things that don't mean anything, that don't string together. They're thoughts. They're like random thoughts. You, you, call, you called him three card Monty the salesman. I'm going to call him non sequitur the person. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Al non sequitur Pacino. Uh, but uh, he. He so he does that, but he gives just enough in there that's like it maybe sound like there was like a deal in there or like some really great opportunity. Like that's what he does, right? And he when he's presenting to Jonathan Price, he's like opening up this brochure and he's saying like these weird things, and he's like, I don't know, it's just a thing. It's here. What happens? Who knows? And like you know, like he's he's doing that. But that's what I was getting about with the intimacy thing because I've seen like disgusting pickup artists. Yeah. Who behave that way with the same exact type of cadence. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ew. Yeah. Like, why has this become that sort of intimacy? Like, if someone was trying to sell me something and that was how they're going, I'm getting up and walking away. Sure. Guy, girl, doesn't matter. Like, no. Yeah. If but you're I, trying to sell me this so hard, there is no way this works out for well, there was something. There was something in there where, like, uh, Jonathan Price was already drunk, and they were drinking a lot more. Where he sure. was trying to get it. It was a long. Play, but yes, right? I he uh, spent all day with the guy. They're drinking. They're yeah. having a good time. But they're cozied up in this booth. Yeah, it was weird. There was whispering, like conspiratorially, like it's our the gap. They pretty much had their arms around each other at one point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's yeah. weird. They start opening the pamphlet, like. Yeah suggestively and i'm like mm-hmm. what are we doing here mm-hmm. it's we're very, talking it's about very a shitty investment yeah like if you're trying to fuck them good luck yeah but like we're selling an investment <laughs> you know what was my favorite part about that is when he opens the brochure there's nothing in the brochure it is it's a picture it's a it picture was, of grass <laughs> was it a, sorry am i misremembering this was it a picture of grass and like cranes or something or flamingos Something like that, yeah. I think like, flamingos. What the fuck? Yeah, I. This so, it was so wasn't ridiculous. Even like houses. It wasn't even like it was like maybe it could be a golf course. Like it's, it's just grass and flamingos. Yeah. A tree. Yeah, that was that was ridiculous. Uh, so now, um, amid all of this, there is, um, Alan Arkin and Ed Harris are are they're 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 talking about potentially they're 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 talk they're just talking about it. they're not talking about it but they're talking about robbing. <laughs> Uh, robbing the leads, and I think they, there's a there's a, there's another thing where uh, Ed Harris, Dave Moss, he's again another salesman. He's just trying to get one over. He'll use everybody and everything in this path to do it. Uh, in this case, the probably the most pure-hearted character that we have, the Alan Arkin George, <laughs> um, where he's he's swindling him into ro- taking the, into robbing the business and taking the leads, which I think this this setup. This setup and twist is actually really great and really well executed in the movie of 
Ed Harris is like messing with him. He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, we could sell him for this much, this much each. Yeah, this much each. And like they they double talk each other a few times there, and uh, it, because Ed Harris is selling this whole op, this whole opportunity to Alan Arkin, and um, it turns into what was it? It's like twenty five hundred dollars or twenty five thousand. I don't remember. What, I think it's twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred dollars, and uh, he. Uh, He's like, you're going to... Which, by the way, man, they got to be desperate because that's not much of a price for what Mm -hmm. they're going to do. Well, well, that was the thing. That's where it gets really nasty, right? Where he goes, 2,500. He's like, and you got to go in and talk to the cops. He's like, why do I have to go in? He's like, well, they like, I have an alibi. You're not going to have, like, whatever. And he goes, he's like, and if I go in there, you know, it's not going to be good. He's like, and who's going to give me my 7,500? And he goes, 7,500. And he goes, I thought it was 2,500. He goes, 2,500 you're getting. Don't worry about my side. And I was like, wait, what? Which, you know what? Still though, ten thousand dollars. Like, what? They're gonna retire on ten thousand. Right. What? What is that gonna cover you guys for the next couple of months? Yeah, it's it's gnarly. But that whole thing goes back and forth, and he gets. He's like, well, he's like, you have to do it. He's like, well, he's like, so we're gonna go in and take the leads. He's like, you're gonna go take them. Me. He's like, well, and he, he like basically does this whole like double talking. I set you up kind of thing. I've made you an accomplice after the fact or before the fact, whatever it was that he said. Uh, he he's a trickery. It's 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 all garbage. It doesn't mean anything. But he he gets Alan Arkin scared, which is why when you get further on in the movie and the leads are taken and he's super nervous, you think it's because Ed Harris basically forced him to go take him. But it makes even more sense when you find out that he decided not to do it. He's even more nervous because Ed Harris made him afraid that he's an accomplice to the robbery. Well, yeah, it's great because like it happened, right? <laughs> it's, uh, so it's just, like it actually happened but he didn't do that but you don't know that he didn't do that yeah at least not yet and not yet and then uh when he's talking to uh roman he's like what do i tell them when they call me in he goes tell them the truth it's the easiest thing to remember and you're like that's like great advice Roman. like he can't do that he stole the leads like that's that's how the audience feels at that moment <laughs> and it's like but no he didn't he could go tell the truth but it was uh he was afraid that he it was an accomplice, even though he wasn't even a part of it at that point. Well, he's probably afraid that Ed Harris is going to get caught, and he's just going to be like, "Well, he he like he did it, like or yeah. he's going to like plant it in his desk because he thinks the heat's too high." Like, right, right. Uh, that that whole thing is is so it's so messed up. I think uh, so. That's them messing going back and forth. Another great scene is when uh, Al Pacino rips into Kevin Spacey. <laughs> they all they all get a, a good shot. Of yeah, him. but well, he's for Alan Arkin. But that's true. But uh, the way that he does it is like it's super intense in that scene, and he just like he just boils them down. Like it's it's ridiculous. And then what I love about that is uh, Kevin Spacey's character. Like he actually feels he seems to feel bad about what he did. Like he missed he missed it. Right? He didn't get like for a little bit in in in. Uh, um, in how he kind of messed, potentially messed up Al Pacino's sale. But when Levine starts ripping into him, he's still like, he's like, yes, I get it. I screwed up. But then he, like, when he, when he starts to get the edge and realize that Levine took the leads, when he switches it, it's, it's gold. Like the although, way that... Although Levine really unravels really too easily. Oh, yeah. Because what he He's said, a hot mess, though. What he said really, but like at that moment, he's in the driver's seat. He's the one who's browbeating Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And 
when he says, like, how did you know I didn't send it? Like, it didn't take anything on him to say, well, of course you didn't send it. No one expected you to fucking do that the last thing last night. You know what I mean? Like, he could have deflected it any which way. Well, that was the thing. So, or, th- or you wouldn't be acting like this if you sent it. You know what I mean? Like, he, I think what happened in that scene was they followed, he followed his own, uh, uh, Levine follows his own advice. Uh, he follows Al Pacino's advice, whose name keeps Ricky Roma, right? Yeah. Uh, Levine follows Roman's advice. It's his own advice. It's like the salesman advice. It's like you don't open your mouth until you know the shot was the thing that was said just before that. And when Kevin Spacey says, how did you know I made it up? Levine doesn't know exactly what's going on. And he keeps asking, what are you talking about? Like he's he's stalling. He doesn't know the shot. and He won't say anything yet. I think that the way that they revealed that rule of the game just before making it that he has to stall, I thought was a really well-done execution of that whole thing. Well, it did feel like, like, I think you were right at the beginning where you said, well, he's a hot mess. Like, he's running on empty. He's like a ball of nerves at this point. Yeah. Because of the stuff with his daughter and the, the cash, or the, the check not clearing and, you know, his sale not being real, right? Mm-hmm. And and all that stuff that maybe he had just run his race and he didn't have any more left. Yeah. But even in all of that, he could have played that. When he says, what are you talking about? He goes, how'd you know I made it up? What are you talking about? He still says it. He says, how'd you know I didn't send it? All he has to say is, well, you've been out here, you know, doing, like, he could have blustered his way through. Now, the suspicion still would have been on him. Sure. But there's still no evidence to tie him to it per se. Now, yeah, I, th- I think it was just too hot, right? The, the heat was too close, and he was also, it was the end of a really long series of events for him where he doesn't have the, he's hes basically not on his A game, which is like sure. just the perfect time to knock him down. Yeah, I was just like, man, like he's really like short-circuited in that moment. <laughs> yeah, but then he, the, him trying to recover though, that's, that's kind of the scene that you were talking about earlier. When he tries to recover from that, he goes from like, sad to best friend to like make you a deal to like he bounces around so quickly in that scene and i think the most powerful moment is the upper hand moment that uh uh williamson gives kevin spacey is when he just when he puts the piece of gum in his mouth there is that like it's like i i won like this conversation's over and it's like you're really gonna turn me in it's like why are you gonna do that because i don't like you Was was pretty thin. (laughs) Like there was any host of reasons he could have chosen there. Yep. But maybe that's the most disrespectful. Will you go to lunch? Will you? Will you go? (laughs) Go to lunch. (laughs) Oh man. It's too much. Let's see what else we got here. You have any other notes? Um Well, I just have it's kind of more just like an amusing like observation. Like we already talked about the Ben Affleck like scene ripping off the Alec Baldwin scene. Um, do you remember might've been the act, the final actual skit in the series. Do you remember we watched with Bob and Dave on Netflix with Bob and Kirk and David Cross? Yeah. Do you remember the salesman sketch? Not like not with just that. I don't. Okay. So it kind of, I, I realized well, after watching this movie that like, cause uh, there's been a million movies, TV shows, whatever, that does some version of this, right? Yeah. Like, you know, both before and after this movie, like the you know, the, the struggles of the salesman and all that. And mm-hmm. 
you know, it's always longing for a better time that was before that usually wasn't as good as we make it out to be and all that jazz. Right. Um, so they did, I realized that some of the specificity of this, that in the, the, this whole sketch, because the Arkin character reminded me a lot of the Bob Odenkirk character in that. And the spacey character kind of amalgamated with the Baldwin character is the David Cross character. And there's like this new guy on like the sales force and they're like, no one has sold anything in forever. They're going to, we got to really hit the payment. Oh, we're out there day and night, day and night, you know, 24 hours a day, but none of them has sold anything in like years. Right. <laughs> the whole thing ended up being, like, I don't, it's not a big deal to like spoil the sketch. The, the twist at the end of the sketch was they're trying to sell Korans and the, yeah. You, okay. I remember the, this. Like, like they get to, he's like, oh, we can't do this house, we can't do that house. Well, uh, you know, they get to the door and he goes, yeah, he rings the doorbell. Well, we tried, and he tries to leave, and like the young guy's like, just hang on a second. They didn't. Yeah, the woman answers the door, and oh yeah, yeah, my my husband actually um like has like he's like a, a pre, like a preacher or like a an imam or whatever one of these things. We'd love to buy your career. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so. Funny. But I realized the whole thing was like parodying this movie specifically, not just the trope of all that salesman stuff during the course of it. Um, that that movie, or sorry, that sketch I found to be really entertaining, especially like so frustrating. And they do the same thing, like that patter of the the back and forth, and the you know, oh my god, you know this and that, and you know, we, we don't need leads, like that sort of thing. Like was very well like mirrored and all that. The leads thing I found fascinating, both from like. Just like the historical perspective we were talking about, like, can you imagine like buying that from like some right. company? But also, they're like they worshipped these leads. You know what I mean? Like it, it was both blessing and curse to them. Yeah. And it was you know, well we can't do it because we don't have good enough leads. Oh, but we had those great leads at one time. We did. We made a killing, and it's like, oh man, it felt like the leads were even kind of a metaphor for something, and I don't even know what per se. But well, it was yeah, it was basically just like. I don't know. It reminded me of every other, it's every single person that I know that everything is somebody else's fault. Like it's like, like, but at the same well, time, part, yes. yeah. At the same time, like, yeah, it seems like they were, they were in a shitty situation selling shitty things in a shitty job. Like I, they're not wrong, but they yes. take zero responsibility for not doing well. Yes. But like, I don't know why I, I guess I'd have to think about it some more, but the leads for some reason felt it feels like it's supposed to be representative of something else, and I don't know if maybe magic beans. <laughs> I don't know if it was just kind of supposed to be like a utopic, like idyllic, like the perfect thing. Like everyone's looking for that silver bullet, mm-hmm. and like or like they're always looking for grass is greener because they always find the new leads, and then those leads weren't good enough. They need the next leads, and there's the shiny new toy, and like. Maybe it's just the whole idea of like greed and wanting what you can't have. Is yeah, it was what I'm kind of getting at. I don't know because whenever they have something, it's not good enough. They need the next thing, and then yeah. those things don't pan out. And then, well, what's the next like mm-hmm. lead? Like, I, it just, uh. just overall, the overall they all seem very unhappy and unfulfilled, and they keep chasing this the next thing that's supposed to make them feel better. It's like almost like a drug. Well, I was really confused too, like early on, like talking about like not like having the situation they want and all that. Why they all had to make calls at the payphone when they had their own phones? Because the way it was set up early, I was like, oh man, they're in such a shitty office that they don't even have their own phone and bathroom. Now, admittedly, they maybe didn't have their own bathroom, but they did have their own phones until they had stolen. Yeah, 
I think I was wondering if maybe it had something to do with some form of callback, whether you call the operator to connect you to the previous line or something like that, and they couldn't be reached if they weren't at the office. Maybe. I also wonder, it might have been because they didn't, because they lied a lot during their sales, like about where they were based out of and who they were selling to and all that. If it was allowing them a certain amount of anonymity where they couldn't be tracked back to where they actually worked. It could be. It's probably, it is probably something along those lines, especially when they were just like, I'm the vice president of so-and-so every time they're calling from a cell phone, uh, from a payphone. Which that's not uncommon. Cause you saw something like that in like Wolf of Wall Street, right? Like, weren't they all VPs? Yeah. Like 100%. on the phone, weren't they all VPs? Yeah. Like in the beginning when they're in the boiler room. Yeah. I also like when they was like, oh, he's like, they're like, don't worry about that other contract. Uh, Mitch, and Mer- Mitch is going to go out. Uh, he's going to be the he's going to be the president of the company who's just in for the day. <laughs> like they say it so casually that it's like, yeah. oh, my God, it's horrible. <laughs> but oh man, it's a it's an it's an entertaining watch for sure. Yes. You know, there in some ways, I felt a certain kinship between this and Uncut Gems. Right, where it's like the constant selling, the scumminess, the yeah. like the persona, like just uh, uh, like they wear this persona mm-hmm. and it becomes them, right? But I found this to be much more gripping. Maybe it was because there was more characters. I think that's probably what it is. Uncut Gems would be like one of these characters and taking a deep dive, going home with them, going out with them, seeing their relationships with other people. Whereas this was just like in the office. Also, like. They basically were all detestable, right? But they yeah. all were, they all felt more human than the lead in Uncut Gems. I don't remember the character's name. Obviously, it was Adam Sandler. Sure. Um, I think ultimately that was a failing of that movie. Mm. There was nothing redeemable about that character. Yeah. You know what was a failing of that movie? It was that movie. Well, a lot of it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Levine had the thing with the daughter. You know, Arkin is like, you know, okay, he... He's not really cut out for this. Like, he doesn't seem like a bad person. He just feels like he's caught up in this shitty job. Yeah, I agree. Even even Moss, it's like, okay, yeah, he is kind of hurting people, but, like, he's not doing it maliciously. Hmm. Like, and Roma, we don't get enough time with to actually fully hate him the same way we do the other ones. Yeah. Um, And even then, uh, maybe, and I guess to the performance and the writing, even when you do see it nakedly, he almost sells you a little bit. And like yeah. Williamson's just trying to do his job. Yeah. I mean, he's like a, he's a dick. There's no yeah, question sure. about it. But he catches so much crap from these guys and from his bosses. I think there's a, there's a bit of all of us who can see ourselves in that where it's mm. like, man, I'm just trying to do my job and I'm yeah. catching it from both ends here. Like what the fuck guys, you yeah. just go do your job. You leave me alone and just let me run this place. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and will you go to lunch? <laughs> and will you go to lunch? Uh, the, uh, one thing when you when you were breaking those characters down that I thought could have been interesting is the uh, for Shelley's character, the machine, Levine. Mm-hmm. If he, uh, they, I wish they would have played into it a little bit more, where you're never quite certain if his daughter's sick. That would have been, I feel like, just a little extra icing on that character. So you think he was scamming? No, 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 no. he wasn't. They made it very clear that he wasn't. I oh, think so that you it wish that they been, introduced the doubt. I, w- I, I think that introducing it a little bit, like, just just so that you have the question of, like, man, I really just can't say for sure because of how he plays people. Well, that would have made his whole shtick, like, scummier 
and more compelling from that perspective. But, but in the, in the way that he's written, it becomes Boy Who Cried Wolf. Yes. So I found it more compelling from the human aspect of, man, I want to hate you. But also, yeah. like, you've painted yourself into a corner and, like, that should be on you to deal with. But someone right. else is going to pay because of what you are. Someone who has nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh, this definitely... It's a, it's it's a, it's an entertaining flick for sure. You got you have anything else on this? No, I don't think so. I, I thought you were looking up something though. Um, no, I don't think so. I was scrolling through my notes, but I'm pretty sure that we uh we touched everything. Um, oh, the only the only other thing that I have in here that we didn't mention was um, there's a couple of tactics that are like tried and true. It seems like that they employ like they, they each employ at some point or another during the movie and like you'll hear today like you'll get it on a call if you're or if you've ever been on like a uh what do you call those things like a timeshare uh uh where they parade you around the place i, I don't know uh, a tour a timeshare tour yeah, yeah. right where they're like they, they'll do like there's this phrase of like listen to me are you listening listen to what i'm going to tell you like like to really like try to to, to pull you in and they mm-hmm. all do that. They all say that phrase in some fashion or another throughout the movie. I just thought it was interesting. That's like that's a like the research went into this. Yeah, you know, which I thought no, it was, does uh, feel authentic. I mean, yeah, and maybe it's just because we weren't alive. Well, I mean, I guess we were alive when we weren't like cognizant in that time. Mm-hmm. And like, it feels like it has to be different now. Like, like that has to be very much a hallmark of 1992 and before then. Yeah, but. Uh, like, how did that even exist a thing? Mm-hmm. Like, who bought those investments? Right. Like, even even the timeshare thing, obviously, has proven to be a scam, largely. But while you may not be getting your money's worth, there is something there. Again, like, you know, talking about, like, the vacuums. That, like, in the end of the, yeah, the, yeah, of the yeah. you get a vacuum. The other day, you can go on vacation there. Yeah. Like, this feels so thin. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even like someone pitching you stocks. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, the land might not even exist. Right. It's in it's somewhere in Florida. Yeah, like, uh, like how is that a thing? But, like, it's still, even though that feels like it's pushing the boundaries, and, and maybe I'm, like, talking my ass, maybe it was, like, a real thing that happened. Like, it, it probably was. But, like, mm-hmm. it still feels too surreal to be, like, a, a real thing. Like, But it no. still was so, the attention to it, like, detail and all that, like, felt... Very authentic. Yeah. Like, yeah, they could have been spelling. They could have been selling fucking plots on Mars, uh-huh. and it still would have felt authentic. Yeah, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen close. Listen close to what I have to tell you. Um. Anyway, that's all for this week's episode of Flicks in the Six. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss, you can send those requests to Flicks in the Six at thespintune.com or tweet us at thespintune. Tune in next week for more movie and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. I'm Al Bielsi. Thanks for coming out. Will you go to lunch? (laughs) (laughs) Will you? Will you?